across the UK, online and on DAB. Talk radio. Get more passionate debate, more outspoken opinion and more digital debate for the UK. Your voice counts. Get it heard on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. So tonight, with me, Catherine Boyle and Katie Puckrick, we are talking about uh, old hookers... Uh, we are, I mean, when I mean old hookers, I mean historical hookers, like hooking through the ages. Oh, I, th- I thought you were bringing in something about my personal life. <laughs> so. I would never. Okay. Uh, that's for you to bring up. Okay. Uh, we're also talking about, um, well, bullshine, grade A bullshine. Yeah, People horse pucky. <laughs> gone in their way yeah. into positions of which they have, they have no chance of getting into in their normal guises. And I'll, I'll tell you a bit more of that about in a second. Um, and also, of course, taking your phone calls. You can give us a ring about anything. 0344 499 1000. That's 0344 499 1000. And Hayley will answer the phone and Hayley will phone you back and you'll be on the radio talking to us too. Yeah. That was two chances. Yeah. So this, this story about the Billy Bullshine, right? Yeah. I saw it on Twitter earlier on. This guy said that his dad had tried to get into a New York restaurant and failed and been told that it was completely booked up. All right. What kind of restaurant, though? I think French from the accents in the video. Okay. Because he took a video, right? So um, he is undeterred and the dad phones back half an hour later and says he is the president of Morocco. Hey, guess what? They found him a table. Do they? Okay. Well, number one, does Morocco even have a president? It does. It does. Okay. I thought it may have just been a kingdom. And it's an old Moroccan guy. And this dad happens to be an old Moroccan looking guy. I don't even know what his origin is, but he could pass. right? Okay. So he didn't have to put on the, the bronzer. No, it's a guy with a mustache. Okay. Th- As in many, no more. many cases, it's a guy with a mustache. <laughs> so he goes and it's you see this, this video and they are bowing and scraping to this guy. Wow. They're asking for selfies. They get him to sign a plate and they treat him, well, like the president of Morocco. Oh. You know what's great about saying you're the president of Morocco? Nobody really knows. It's like saying you're the leader of Bulgaria. Like, it's kind of like, I've heard of Morocco, I know about Bulgaria, but there's no kind of like, I know what the Queen of England looks like. Right. So yeah. you say it like you mean it, and you can get you yeah. can get quite far in life actually in some places in some places and 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 if you don't it's always worth a try right yeah have you ever pushed the bullshineometer um i have certainly whipped out the horse pucky in certain events and um what i do is i mean i know i'm lying that's fine and i do it with a cheerful demeanor but my little strategy is i will just go to the box office of uh a gig I want to see, and then I'll say hi. I'm Katie Puckrick, um, and I believe I'm on the list for this. <gasps> I'm not really sure. Brilliant. And and I and I'm always very humble about it. Like I, I might not be. I may have just completely gotten it wrong. But I thought I spoke to the person to, and I'm all really vague about it. And and then they just usher me right in. And the la- the best time I ever did this, Catherine, was when the Beach Boys, when Brian Wilson and the you know, reactivated Beach Boys were playing the London Palladium. Right. I think it was a summer or two ago. And yeah, I did that whole like, I think Six Music may have put me on. It Maybe it's not even tonight. Maybe it was for the show tomorrow night. And the so fu- you're not really lying. Uh, uh, yeah. You're not really telling the truth, but you're not really lying. Well, I, d- I definitely, like, I've already been told. I did, t- in these cases, I usually do try to go through the official channels, and then they say, no, forget it. You're <laughs> not 
you, you know, you're not important enough. And so then I just try it nicely. And then the box office manager did give me a little wink, like, uh, okay, wow. I'll put, but you know, I got in and there I was in the lovely, the first circle overlooking this, you know, direct eye line to the stage. My. Yeah. But, uh, but not, I don't try to palm myself off as, somebody else but i do know somebody actually who speaking of morocco my friend tammy glover who works in film production uh she was on a trip to morocco and she called the mamunia hotel which is the big swanky danky place in town and she said hi my name is tammy glover and i'd like to book a room she gets there it turns out that they thought she said danny Glover, and they booked her in the presidential suite. Wow. And they were bowing and scraping. On the basis of lethal weapon. On the basis of the fact that I guess Danny Glover is the name to drop when you're in, (laughs) you know, when you're in uh, Marrakesh. Wow. And so she was, uh, they were confused and they were sort of like looking past her, looking over her shoulder. Is Danny coming? Is Danny with you? No, Tammy. I'm Tammy Glover. And then they just had to. They just had to eat it. Wow. You know, they, they didn't d- withdraw the offer. They didn't because they realized that some lower level dog's body kind of queered the deal. So, yeah. So she got a really great trip out of it. That is amazing. I've never gone that far on Bullshine alone. The, and I always, the occasion I did, it was a really mild thing, but it spiraled. And it was, and I've told this story before. So if you've heard this story before, please forgive me and just switch your brains off just for two seconds. But, um, when I was a kid, I was in a choir. I'm talking about 14. Yeah. And Bob Monkhouse was the special guest at this village fate thing that we were performing at. Do you remember Bob Monkhouse? Yeah. Yeah. Big, big deal. Big television deal in his day. Sure. And um, my friend said, oh, I really want Bob Monkhouse's autograph. But I daren't go up to him. I went, what? I'll go. He's just a bloke. I'll go for you. So I go, oh, excuse me, Mr. Monkhouse, could I possibly have your autograph? Yeah, sure. What's your name? And instead of doing the thing that I think is a little bit rude of going, oh, it's not for me, it's for my friend. I said, oh, it's Jackie. My name's Jackie. And he went, oh, Jackie, that's a beautiful name. In fact, my wife's called Jackie. Jackie, Uh, you brought her over. We were involved in a good 10 minute conversation about how great it was to be called Jackie. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is, they're so nice. They're so nice. Anyway, so yeah, I was Jackie for 10 minutes. And then, well, then you were obliged to go and have it changed by deed poll. Yeah, definitely. So that's why my name is now Jackie. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So that's what we want you to give us a ring on if you fancy. And you can, as I say, I'll give you suggestions, but you don't have to go by them. We're freestyling on this show. Yeah. 0344 499 1000. How far have you got on bullshine alone? Let's have a quick word with Hawk. Hey, Hawk. Hello. Hello. Hi. You are right? Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed the show last night. It was super. Oh, thank you very thank much. You. I'm trying to work out whether we've spoken before, Hawk. Yes, it's Star. Ah, right. Why are they calling you Hawk on this? I ain't got a clue. How weird. Anyway, it's, yep. nice, to, it's nice to hear from you, Star. What you got? Well, two things. Go on. I have met a couple of celebrities. Oh, yeah. Uh, my first one was when I was about five, six years of age. My mum took me to the... Um, Birmingham Hippodrome to see Little and Large. Right. And I was called up on stage. So that was really good. I you were that, that kid. Whenever I went to shows, I was always sitting too far back. Oh, no. We, we were sort of towards the front, but in the aisle part. 
and they walked up and they saw me and I was like, I was only tiny and they saw me and, he, you know, he grabbed my hand and he said, right, right, come on, you come up on stage with us. So I was like, okay, <laughs> really shy, really quiet, but really good. And then my second one was, um, I was at school, I was one of the prefects and we had um, a couple come over. We had... Um, I'm trying to think of her name. She's a, she was a singer in a, in a, a time. Okay. And then we had um, another one come over, and he was, um, he used to do the show, um, I'm trying to think of his name. It's just totally gone out of my head. Michael something. Michael and someone who used to be a singer. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's got a clue who she's driving at, please help us out. 0344 yeah. I mean, we can, we can throw a few names at you. Can you remember what she looked like? Uh, yeah, she was tall, thin, long black hair. Cher. Cher. No. Oh. It was, she, was, she was an English singer. I don't think she was well known, but... Wasn't Marty Kane? I'm not sure. Oh, the I was other... really young. I was, I was in primary school at that time. And then the second one was when I was in high school. I was a prefect. All right. And he, he, he used to do um, a quiz show. His name was Michael something. A Barrymore? That's the one, yes. Oh. I believe you've forgotten Michael Barrymore. I know, I know. My, uh, my brain's just not working today. <laughs> well, thanks for giving us a little try. Thanks Another thing as well. Yep. Can you do me a big favour? Depends what it is. Hide your bottle. Why? Because every time Guardian sees it, he's just going in a rampage and it's triggering him because I have looked absolutely everywhere and I cannot get him a purple one. <gasps> and every time he sees your bottle, it's like, ooh. Wow. And what what's the big deal about the purple ones? Are they... Because he's a- absolutely fascinated with the colour purple. That's his favourite oh. colour. It's oh, a good movie. So, but I've tried everywhere. Weight Rose, Amazon, everything. Really? Cannot find one. Yeah. Cannot find a purple one. All the other colours, no problem. Plenty. Purple, no, sold out everywhere. Too too special. Too special, you see. It was a special edition. It wasn't. It wasn't. There were loads of them. That's not not helpful to you in your plight. No. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not moving it. He can can read it and weep. (laughs) Good to speak to you, Star. Take care. That's marriage. Isn't that funny about um, how celebrities, just meeting a celebrity, can? it's like sprinkling a little fairy dust yeah. on your day. Like, it makes you feel good about yourself, and or I don't know, like it makes you feel connected. It's always a surprise to see a celebrity out doing normal things, I think, for, for people. Yeah. Like, you know, Ian gets caught all the time in the supermarket and they say, what are you doing here? And it's like, well, you know, I've got to eat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I would get that sometimes on the bus or public transportation. What are you doing here? Like, aren't you in your limo? Like, no. no he's having the day off. Yeah, yeah, he is. The driver is, uh, he's having a, a nice little break. <laughs> Let's talk to Wasim. Hiya, Wasim. Uh, evening, Kath. How's it going? I'm all right, thanks. How are you doing? Uh, evening, Katie. Hi, How Wasim. I thought I'd be a gentleman and I'd say evening to both of you. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I think Ian's got it wrong. I think Ian's got me all wrong anyway, so... <laughs> I don't think he has. I thought you'd patch things up. No, you know, you know what it is, Kat? The reason I actually called him up, the real reason is, you know when he argues with people, I find it so funny, honestly. It's just, not all the arguments, but you know, like the guy called about milk, Jack. 
The guy who called about, about milk. Yeah, it was okay. a it was yeah, a weird I conversation. Yeah, I heard that a few times, and that was just the way Ian reacts to things. is just oh my god, it's just priceless, you know. I'm just wondering how how, how would you react to someone like Jack or Kadir or someone? Well, because you seem much more calm to me. I am quite calm, but I also don't tolerate nonsense. So you you may find out at some point, but you know, um, <laughs> you know, I actually thought I'm going to be on the block list with Ian. I thought you might have blocked me from calling in. Nah, you'd know about it. Yeah. You know, the reason I called in is quite funny, because, you know, you know, you just... Ian's so easy to wind up as well, because he starts arguing with you straight away. I don't think he means to, but... You know, like, sometimes uh, you say something, and then he... He gets the wrong end of the stick and stuff. His reactions are priceless, you know, honestly. But I think he's a really nice guy, to be honest with you. I really like him. Okay, well, why don't you tell him that? I will, yeah. And I think you're really cool as well. I think it's really good that you've got two women doing the show... And, uh, you know, I, I hope you guys have a good time over the next three days until Ian gets back. Thanks very much, Rossi. Yeah. I hope you have a good no time, problem. too. I mean, it's I, not just about nice. us. You see, I, I'm not a bad person, am I? I'm quite nicely done. Well, you've been very good today. Gold star. Thanks very much, Wasim. Yeah. <laughs> totally presentable. <laughs> Completely acceptable performance from the man. Yes. Hello, Alan Caddick. Sorry, I'm right, girls. Hello. That is a jolly, energetic hello. Sorry, I'm right. It's all right. We- I was busy scouring YouTube. Oh, God, why? I was, look, I was watching an old video of the Big Breakfast. Why? Just to see what Chris Evans did before he was on Radio 2. Gosh, can't you remember? How old are you? I'm 38. Blimey, Alan. And I didn't know Gabby was launched into the mainstream on the Big Breakfast. Hmm. Because I recognised them from when she did children's television. Right. Why are you researching Chris Evans? I mean, it's, it's a fine subject to research, but sure. it seems a little random. Because Katie was a pioneer of Channel 4 TV in the evenings. Do you accept that role? Yes, I will accept that role. And Chris was a pioneer of mornings on Channel 4. Gosh, yes. And actually, both the word and the big breakfast were made by the same production company, so there's certainly a link there. Oh, very, very good link. Yeah. And I understand, going from last night, Katie, you're looking for a gentleman caller. Yes. I'm willing to put my hat in the ring. Wow. And so, what are your interests? I love karaoke. Oh, me too. What's your favourite song on karaoke? I love Fooled Around and Fell in Love by Elvin Bishop. With me, my favourite one, Star Trekking by The Firm. Yeah, he loves it so much he got banned from singing it because he was singing it too much. Really? Yeah. Too much of a good thing. Exactly, party poopers. What else do you sing when you're not allowed to sing Star Trekking? I love any song by Queen. Mm Mm-hmm. It's tricky to pull off as a one-man yeah, thing, though. It is tricky. You have to master all of those different harmonies, like multi-throat singing. Yeah, especially Bohemian Rhapsody. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. Can you do that one? I do your little villa with the rubber man. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. Turns out, yes, you can. That's excellent. You are a master of this. Uh, if the word ever came back on telly, would I be on there? 
I don't know. What would you do to be on telly? Or, I mean, would you... Well, let's go through some of the things that people did because they were desperate to be on television in that section in the word. Are you talking about the hopefuls? Yeah. So people would do things like take a bath in cow doo-doo. Or kissing, French kissing a grandma. Or licking a sweaty armpit. Didn't someone drink vomit? Uh, that was that was something else. That was a man who drank a beer and then he put a hose down his... He put like a tube down his throat and then coughed it back up. I mean, it was all variations on fur balls. And there was also a man who snorted a condom through his nose and horked it out through his mouth. So, yeah, what would you, what would you offer? With me, I would drink five pints of your wine and snort it back through the nose. Wow. It's very specific. It's very specific. And who's urine? It would be a pig's wine. Wow, Alan. Wow. It's like, he's really going for it. He would be a shoe-in, though, to be fair. He would definitely be accepted, well, wouldn't he, with that kind he's of... He's had experience with a pig new new in the jungle, hasn't he? He did, but they were paying him quite a lot of money to do it, and you're offering to drink five pints of pig weed for nothing. I know. What are you like, Alan? Yeah, but it's a stepping stone, isn't it? Definitely. Everyone got famous out of that. Yeah. That's yeah. what, that's what they, that's always the strategy. It's like, this will lead to other things. We can't pay you, but this will give you exposure, the much needed exposure. You can parlay that into something else. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, it could lead to public humiliation. Well, oh, there is that. For sure, for that, sure. That's show business, Alan Caddick. I know, I know that too well. <laughs> oh my God, you sound so jaded. So, uh, uh, I'm jaded because I'm late. Oh. Because yeah. I, I didn't call on my usual time. I looked up at the time and I thought, oh, beep, I've got to call. Well, let this be a lesson to you. Be on time. Be on time. Mm. And next time, you know, bring five pints with you. Right. Goodbye. Oink, oink. Oh, three, four, 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 nine, nine, one thousand, as you can hear, many thing goes. Digital debate for the UK. Talk radio. We'll get you talking. So... We just had our cameras adjusted. I know you can tell, can't you, through the radio, that uh, now we're being lit like uh, the guys from RuPaul's Drag Race. I love the idea that we just have... We're just being blasted with a a sun worth of light. I mean, probably you can see my bones and some organs is how brightly lit we are. Looking good, though. They're looking a lot younger. (laughs) What, my organs are? Yeah. Yeah, so what what is... That is a a big technique, isn't it, for the drag artiste? Uh, It's not just about slap. It's not just about contouring it's also, yeah. also about the lighting the lighting is incredible on that show everyone is so brightly lit you cannot make out any kind of line wrinkle they can smile you don't see a thing right it's yeah. just blasting the face and um obviously i don't normally sit in this seat yesterday we put out something on on the twitter feed a video yeah and it just occurred to me i don't know whether it's the headphones or actually my head but i've got a great big round pan face you know with very little to speak of you know contouring involved in it and it got me he got me thinking about pan face i I call like a i look like the moon with hair no you don't well thank you i look like a pyramid so i'm triangular so my jaw is really wide and then it goes to a peanut point at the top (laughs) of my head which is covered with hair so you don't necessarily notice that that um the top of the triangle right I'd never looked at myself in that amount of detail before and seen myself with my face moving. You know what I mean? You you, you must have got used to it from being on telly. Did you ever watch yourself back? Uh, Well, yeah. Well, here's the problem. I I got used to seeing myself 
in a certain, you know, looking in my 20s. And then as the years roll on, so that's frozen in your head, like, well, that's okay. I'm used to what that looks like. And then when I'm looking at myself in my 40s and my 40 teens, I look like a sock puppet. <laughs> There's just far too much mobility in my face. So I was looking at RuPaul's Drag Races. Oh, yeah. And they can work wonders with paint. I mean... Oh, yeah, the paint. The contouring. What the do paint. they do? Well, I was looking at how they draw the boobs on, and it's kind Wait, of... Wait, did they draw the boobs yeah. on? Yeah. You mean those lovely ladybird blokes aren't just naturally endowed? endowed? No, because that would, be, that would be cheating. That would oh. be cheating. So, no, these are like... They've got, still got guys' frames. They're yeah. still men. And then they do this amazing transformation. You can get leg um, pads, which look like big shoulder pads that they stick on either side, so they get sort of ladies. Saddle, saddle bags. Saddle bags. Yeah, exactly. they can have mine. Oh, God, yeah, I've got to spare as well. And then they do this thing with the contouring where they'll, they'll pad up so that, you know, they can squish whatever skin they've got up a little bit. So there is, a, so, there is some movement this there. This is for breasticles. For breasts. And then they'll do kind of a half moon shape or... One sort guy of, described it as kind of a, a martini glass. So if you imagine they're drawing a V, okay, to make their sort of decolletage. It's it's almost like a like when you draw when you're a child and you learn that you can just sort of draw these upside down Ws and it looks like flying birds in the distance. Exactly like that, except this one looks like boobs, flying boobs in the distance. And they use they use just regular makeup and they can draw these these shapes in. And you know if you. Is that a good idea? I mean, it's good for far away. It's like theatrical. Yeah. Here's... You turn to the side, and if you've got nothing there, you can tell there's nothing there. Okay, because that's strange. Cause, and But do boy boys, as opposed to girl boys, boys do that to draw in six packs mm-hmm. in show business? And I knew a friend a friend of mine who Poldark, to... the Poldark guy. Doesn't he get a six-pack drawn on? I'm pretty sure he probably gets enhanced, yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine used to dance at the um, Folie Berger. Oh, yes. And she said that they used to draw on muscles they used to draw on definition here's what where it gets a little complicated Catherine. what if they're drawing on cleavage and six-pack and testicle shadows <laughs> could you draw like some shadows underneath your undercarriage in the man equipment department pretty sure there's a youtube tutorial for that yeah for that to just kind of enhance like everything slow slung yeah uh, Curves in all the right places and a few of the wrong places. Yeah, yeah. crotch fruit. But um, have you ever done that? You know, but all at once. Though. Yeah. Okay. But th- that kind of artistry, I find fascinating. You know, and you see that transformation. It's yeah. called tromploy, and it works on camera. But as you say, in person, it's trickier to to carry off. Certainly trickier. But there's a. We were talking yesterday about tortured eyebrows. Yeah. And the contouring as well now that people are doing is like kind of stage makeup, isn't it? Well, this is what I've noticed because. I have always, rhythm as a dancer, and so am I. I've always been a dancer and uh, used to dance professionally. And one of the things, like the first thing that you learn when you're a teenager is how to enhance everything theatrically so you learn all these crazy techniques like you put red dots in the corners of your eyes and that's supposed to make your the whites of your eyes really pop and it's just really kind of old-fashioned 1940s ballet makeup and you see it in films like the red shoes but nowadays you see the kardashians and their ilk and they're wearing like practically 1940s ballet makeup or stripper makeup yeah and they might have six-pack painted on their stomachs pretty sure they would yeah they they are wearing full stage makeup 
at all times. To walk down the street, yeah. To walk down the street. But it's got to the point now where everyone's got an identical face. It's almost like they spray paint them on from the same template. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, there's probably some uh, stencils that you can buy at a craft store. I did buy some eyebrow stencils once. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How just, do you know where to put them? Like, you're going to change your... Are you just going to look angry or surprised all the time, depending on where you put those stencils? This is the genius of them, right? This is like the early days of online shopping is one of the first things I found. <laughs> These eyebrow stencils. And you could buy Liz Taylor's eyebrows, oh, Grace Kelly eyebrows. They need you know. their eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Don't you, take their eyebrows. But all you do is, like, tape them to your face yeah. and then do, go in with powder to create the shape. Okay, well, yeah, but you look like you've got powdered eyebrows. It's just, it was not a natural look at all. Well, the other thing is to go with Liz Taylor's eyebrows, you need Liz Taylor's eyes <laughs> yes, yes. and the rest of her face. <laughs> I mean, because you just can't mix and match. There was that famous performance artist. I think she was working in the 70s. Um, her name escapes me, but uh, she did a project whereby she got... All she has assembled tear sheets of all the great beauties, so Mona Lisa and Venus de Milo and all of these different figures. And then she went to the plastic surgeon and she said, Hey, I'd like Mona Lisa's smile and I'd really like um Aphrodite emerging from the waves. I'd like to have her eyebrows. And so she had this hodgepodge. And wow. of course it was a you know, it was a pick and mick mess. It was not successful did but she look like a photo fit by the end she looked like a photo fit so that's that's a good way to put it what was i'm gonna look up her name i think it was like orleanne or something she might still be going but um yeah photo fit is kind of where we're at now because people are trying to get um you know the bottom of a famous pre-columbian statue um and then they're trying to get some eyebrows that belong to RuPaul. I don't get the bum thing at all at the moment. I don't I'm get. happy. I welcome the bum thing because I've always been packing heat in that department. <laughs> yeah. But the bums are crazy, though, because they've got, like, you know, decent-sized rears, but then they kind of nip the waist into the point where you think, all right, that's not your bum. That's some sort of bolt-on. There, Yeah, it could be a bolt-on. It could be a feature. Yeah, there... It's problematic, though, isn't it? Because um, you do hear about those backstreet hindquarter enhancers yes. where they're just, what are they doing there? Didn't in someone get killed because this woman was pumping them full of um, concrete? I didn't hear about the concrete. I just yeah. heard it was like petroleum byproducts and it was no, things, no. it was like ship sludge and uh, didn't have, and then, of course, yeah, it, it doesn't stay put. It, she did, she, she did sort of inject it into the, the, bumular region but then it just sailed around the body and probably entered the brain and that was the end we of might it. as well just bring in the rule that we brought in yesterday when we were talking about gwyneth paltrow steaming and um you know inserting things yes where the sun don't shine just stop messing with it for god's sake i think a little messing is fun but yeah things like eyebrows um i don't know what it is about eyebrows people get going going on eyebrows and then they just don't stop no no I think once and you it's start, too late. I also think if you stare at anything long enough, it's going to look weird. Yeah. So maybe go and do something else for a while. Hey, Jerry. Hello. 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 I'm Katie. Hi. Hello. You're sounding good. good. Thanks very much. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm fine. Pardon. Pardon. Just a long time, Mr. Have you been running? No. I've got Parkinson's. I'm just a bit mental sometimes. Yeah. Hello. Your phone line is awful. Oh, Jesus. These 
Crappy phone to keep by. Oh, that's better. Keep your mouth where it was. Okay, is that better? Yeah, yes. just a bit. Much better if it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> what time is that for string phone calls at night? Sorry. Hey, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you dealing with this heat, Jerry? Okay, that'll be fine. I need to come out tomorrow. Yeah. Have a check up on me. Good. What's going on? Good. See ya. I'm very bad tonight, but it should be all right. All right. Well, listen, we find it a bit hard to understand you tonight, Jerry. on TV years ago. Yeah, she was. Yep. That was me. <laughs> Correctly identified. Guilty as charged. All right. Bye. No problem. Thanks, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Okay. Jerry's got Parkinson's and he's been living in uh, sheltered accommodation. He's only in his 40s. Oh, wow. And this heat really plays merry hell with, you know, tremors and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So some days the speech is better than others, but it's cool because we've got this relationship with Jerry where we can say, you know. Yeah. I tell you what works brilliantly with Jerry sometimes. What? If he sings. Oh, so then that sort the of... breath control. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I don't, I don't, don't know what it is. It's, I guess it's the same thing as, you know, do you remember Gareth Gates used to find it easy to sing? Yes. And then he kind of adapt. He was taught this technique where it's kind of the, that kind of breathing in first and then breathing out in one breath like you would when you're singing to speak and he's managed to master his stammer. Well, that's interesting. I met a woman recently whose brother has cancer and he's unable, increasingly unable to speak. He kind of has... Uh, phases in and out and I don't know what kind of cancer it is but he can sing so what she does is that for treats uh, she brings over musicians and they have a good old like Irish knees up yeah that's great yeah that's really great if you want to give us a ring 0344 499 1000 G's giving us a ring and I bet I know what he's ringing about okay. you're not having my bottle G Hello, it's boss. <laughs> 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 no, I wasn't actually ringing in about the bottle because I'm already triggered enough about that. Okay, we better not mention it then. I was actually ringing in to um, let you know that when my wife rang in, yes, she um, mistook um, Michael Barrymore for Cliff uh, Richard. What? What? <laughs> wow, that's a thing to do. That that is a really bizarre trajectory and especially right. since she said michael yeah <laughs> she, she had a complete brain fart and just completely misunderstood so i just thought i'd ring in and let you know that it it was cliff richard that she met now with a bigger star than michael barrymore but why did you need to tell us that you could have protected her she could have got away with it no one would ever have known okay it's a little bit bullshine but you know you're supposed to be on the same team g i married her Protection out the window. So is that part of the oh, marriage vows? You're, you're, so you're busting her, though. You're, yeah. bu you're busting yeah, her chops proper. on this. Yeah, straight out the water. Well, just, just simply because she thought she got it right and I love being right. Oh, gee. <laughs> well, I'm interested <laughs> in... Exactly what she said. Oh, gee. What was, what was Cliff Richard up to? What was he doing? So this is the, the celebrity she met when she was a teenager? Yeah, the 15 one. trolling school. Oh, wow. <gasps> 
Right. He was probably making a special appearance and lifting the young people's spirits. I've cut G off before he says something incriminating. Yes. Because as is his won't. Yes. But that that selling of um, of selling out of Star there is just reminded me that of something we were discussing briefly before the show. Yes. Which is you know the eternal battle for supremacy that is a relationship. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting story today by Hannah Betts in the Evening Standard magazine, and it is about uh, the IQ gap in relationships. So are you smarter than your partner? How does it stack up? Did you willingly and knowingly enter into a relationship with a big old dummy, or did you purposefully seek out somebody smarter than yourself? And she goes on to say, this, this is Hannah Betts, she's talking about the fact that she's kind of a big old smarty pants, and so's her husband. And she said that, uh, this is from the article, she said, when we met, he told me that he was about to embark upon an MA in literary theory at Cambridge. I replied that I used to teach literary theory at Oxford. And apparently on date three, I suddenly remarked, hold on, I've just realized that you think you're cleverer than me. So this is obviously two people who are quite positional, but it does make me think about um, the fact that some people are totally happy with being with somebody who's not very smart. Mm -hmm. But then that puts them in this kind of My Fair Lady Henry Higgins constant position of schooling somebody, which... I've been in that position before, and it's exhausting. I don't like it. It's exhausting. I don't want to be smarter than the person and also, that I'm with. Did you, I don't know about you, because I've been in this position in the past. Not that I'm super bright, but you know, when you just realize that the other person isn't quite on the same page. Thankfully, normally they're more grounded, down-to-earth, and like common-sense smart than I am, because my head's often in the clouds. But you know that moment when you go, I can't talk to you about books or yeah. the films I like or anything like that, because you're just not not lit by these things you know yeah i mean there's a lot to be said for uh the other person's picking up the slack on some qualities that you don't possess so like you said if you're a little airy fairy and somebody else is more grounded and practical and that's fine but when they don't share a curiosity about the things that you're curious yeah. about it's hard to to spark off of each other and one of the things that gets me is when somebody doesn't share my frame of reference and that's kind of built into the deal uh, when you're with someone who's considerably younger than you yeah. and this is often a paradigm that you find with older men and younger women and it seems like I mean, it's kind of the classic cliche where, you know, the guy, when the guy's on his second wife or whatever, or, you know, he's having his second childhood and he has that yellow jaguar, but he does line up a, a bright young thing or perhaps not so bright. And uh, if I've ever been, had some sort of uh, festive night out or some sort of romantic inclination with somebody who's younger, a lot younger, or doesn't share the same references you spend all your time together going oh well it was this movie that was out or it was uh, this tv show or world war ii was this big fight that we were in with the germans yeah or you give up and you go and find that part of things elsewhere and that's where the trouble starts well that's when the trouble starts have you ever worked with someone who's significantly less bright than you are apart from today <laughs> hi <I>? ian <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I have Ian's on the phone. Ian. What, what is this? What, 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 what is this? What? Nothing? 
How are you doing? Aren't you on holiday? What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? I've, li- I've just, right, here's the thing. So I'm, I'm in America to see the monkeys. I'm going to see them tomorrow night, and I'm seeing them Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And I've spent, and I'm, you know, I'm getting divorced, and I'm buying a house, and money is really, really tight. And, you know, my therapist said, you should go to New York. It'd be really good for you. And it's cost me like £2,000 with the hotel and the travel. And I've literally just woken up to find out they've cancelled the rest of the tour. What? What? So, so, I was wondering two things. One, can we do like a GoFundMe to try and get me my money back? (laughs) And two, Katie, uh, you're sounding great. I'm going to ask you to go home now. Catherine, if you could budge over one seat. Why? um, I'm 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 already booked in for the duration. I'm I'm back. You don't need to, honestly. Katie, get 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 an Uber. <laughs> Just watch round one, and we'll do. What's your favourite B-side, guys? Man, cool now. It's just tough tits, man. Because you you, you went over there. <laughs> You went over there for fun times. You will have fun times, and we don't want you back until you've had them. I don't care if it's monkey-related or not. Could you, like, go forth and, like, smile and talk to people and stuff? What's this? Why did they go. cancel their tour, Ian? I don't know. I've lit- I've just had a little doze, and I've just woken up, and I, um, I've just been on Facebook, and it's cancelled, and I think they're saying that one of them is ill, Uh-oh. and, you know, and I wish them all well and stuff, and everyone's going, oh, God, I wish them well, and thank God the tickets are being rescheduled for January. I can't afford to come back in January. I'm broke. Oh, man. So I might move over to New York and live here. <laughs> anyway. What, what, have you, what have you been doing since you, how long have you been in New York, like one day? I've been in New York for um, 19 hours. Okay. And... Uh, I've done a lot. I've, I've been to Atlantic Records. I went and looked around Atlantic Records. I've been to uh, a Chinese restaurant owned by an old Hong Kong movie star who made films with Bruce Lee. I've been to some record stores, and I've had two doses. And now I'm just, oh, I'm just off to meet my friend Imani, and we're going to get the Staten Island Ferry. So oh, that's I'm good. I'm living the tourist dream. Yes, you are. Bad news about the monkeys, oh, though, eh? Bad news about the monkeys. Oh, listen to you with your tongue firmly in your cheek, Boyle. I know you. Anyway, um, you you two are getting way too much love on Twitter. So just can you both be a little bit crapper, please, in what you're doing? Uh, You you know, just just tone down the skills a little bit, please. All right, mate. All right, mate. Up your your bum. Thank you very much indeed. I've always wanted to be able to cut that guy off. And today I've achieved my dream. I mean, sometimes you just strive for things and, and it lands in your lap. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. So coming up in about 15 minutes' time, we're going to be uh, going across the pond again to New York, but this time not to a disappointed Monkeys fan, but to a woman who is uh, extraordinary. She's um, one half of a two-woman team that do a podcast that I've become completely addicted to called The Oldest Profession. Mm. Um, and she, her name is uh, Caitlin Bailey. And she is a comedian. She's been a Starbucks barista. And um, she's also a sugar baby. What does that mean? It means she's a sex worker who... Um, who She'll explain it probably better than mm. I can. But from what I gather, what it involves is having a monthly arrangement with a much older, much wealthier guy who will keep you... Hmm. Um, will keep you, basically. Right. In return for companionship, which may or may not be sexual in nature. 
Right. So that's what she does. Uh, and she does this podcast. She's also like this amazing kind of amateur historian who goes into the history of sex work throughout the ages. And it goes right back to sort of pre-biblical times and then sort of bounces around. She talks about some celebrities you might not know who've either dabbled or had a fairly lengthy career in sex work hmm. and uh, and how it kind of re- reflects on standards as they've grown through the ages. Like, for example, you know, um, prostitution started out in some cases, in temples in sort of pre-biblical times where women were actually quite powerful because of the power of, you know, of their sexuality. Mm-hmm. But they were kind of grades of such. There were women who were in charge of stuff, but there were also women who, of course, were, were slaves, really. Right. Um, but also... the the sort of level of shame attached to sex work as well has changed throughout the ages. When those powerful women became a threat or a challenge because they were financially independent and yeah. could do what they wanted to and also had plenty of dirt on some really powerful figures. I mean, that's the whole Heidi Fleiss uh, situation, boom. isn't it? They yeah. got knocked down, you know, and, and they would find ways to make them, you know, socially pariahs or a criminal in some cases well i mean that's the thing about the good old battle days is that women didn't have a lot of wiggle room in terms of being the masters or mistresses of their own destiny but they could use what the good lord gave them and uh if they chose to, they could parlay that into a pretty good career. Yeah, there's a story I was reading, uh, well, I was listening to on the way in, one of their podcasts. Uh, it was a Greek woman who was, I can't remember what the term is for it. Anyway, she was a courtesan uh, in, in classical Greek times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was a hard, she played hardball, literally. She yeah. play, and um, she ended up with loads and loads of power to the point where she was financially very wealthy. And when the Wall of Thebes was brought down by some general or other, she offered to pay for it to go back up on the proviso that they would put some sort of graffiti on it saying that this was paid for by, I can't remember what her name was, but, you know, whatever her name is, X, the whore, you know. And, of right. course, they said, no, we'd rather find the money elsewhere. Oh, but, really? Yeah, because they didn't want her immortalized. Well, the branding, you know, yeah. she was a, a branding savant. I mean, that was the way in the American Old West as well when there was the gold rush and you had westward expansion and you had miners and chancers and people trying to make a quick buck and they'd set up these shanty towns and then you'd have these very entrepreneurial ladies who would come out and set up a cat house and they knew that they could you know make hay while the sun shined and it turns out that they would accrue a lot of political power mm-hmm. and you know they would kind of be the the town's madam and also the town's mayor because just as you said they they knew all the secrets yeah and the, actually one of the characters that they look at and one of the figures they look at not necessarily a character in this podcast yeah is big nose kate who was running with kind of doc holiday i think at one oh, point okay. so oh yes mm-hmm. p- women who've played a really sort of pivotal point in part in history yes. kind of um uh, are all detailed in this podcast and it's done in a really kind of sweary loud funny you know horrible histories with filth attached yeah way and it's very very entertaining but one of those things where you listen to it and you think i've got to listen to that again because there's yeah. so much detail in there that i didn't get you know? yeah yeah it's fun because they're like very unbuttoned and vulgar and just filled with joie de vivre yeah yeah what they are and they keep saying it is you know unashamed whores you know and that's something that was seen as being absolutely absolutely out of the ordinary and uh, something to be crushed throughout history 
history and yeah. they and uh, they're trying to sort of take away that stigma and trying to get involved in politics and trying to defend fellow sex workers some of whom are not as fortunate as they are you know there are women still who are being trafficked but they want to kind of bust the myth that everyone is involved in sex work these days is a victim yeah that's interesting to me because i can't get my head around the fact that a woman would choose to do that for a living so that's what i found really interesting about hearing caitlin and who is it wendy yeah wendy um talking about it and they're very you know they're very sex positive and they're very positive about being sex workers and um you know just that idea that this transaction is not something that would make you feel creepy or mm-hmm. used. And uh, so I find that fascinating. I mean, just from kind of an outsider. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's not, you know, it's not a world that we're familiar with, of yeah. course, but. Because I, the only thing I always hear about is, you know, you hear about uh, people who are trafficked and tricked. Se- yeah. And, and sex slavery. So the idea that um, that you would choose to do it and yeah. it would be no skin off your nose or even such a thing as, um, you know, dancing stripping for a living yeah you know that seems to me like i I would feel very vulnerable doing that well they cover the whole like kind of gamut of different sex sex industry jobs you know so it's not all about people who have sex for money i mean i think wendy started off selling her knickers oh yeah 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 so you know but i just find their their honesty refreshing and their social conscience is is there and um she's a great character and she we're going to be speaking to her about 11 o'clock but i have a little clip here just to give you uh, just to wet your whistles back home okay coming up on the oldest profession so this tutor brings her to the inquisition the inquisition of course has taken over uh venice because of the plague right okay. so after the plague happens people are like why did god make this happen and the inquisition is like we can pretend we know the answer so like that's that's what's happening okay in venice. dumb question sure what the f- is the inquisition i only here's how i know the inquisition is because in uh monty python holy grail and monty python they go no one expects the spanish inquisition that's how i know that so i hear that and i giggle and i'm like okay so inquisition so what the inquisition is is basically like the enforcement arm of the catholic church on steroids so after the protestant reformation right the catholic church starts to get real nervous because before the protestants the catholic church was like the empire of Europe. They controlled everything. So you have these little princes and these little kings and these all of that stuff, but all of those people are ruling by divine right as established and enforced by the Catholic Church. Mm. When the Protestant Reformation happens, the Catholic Church is like, we gotta start murdering heretics. We gotta start, we gotta get rid of the anti-Catholic people because they're they're getting uppity basically yeah so the territories that they control they go in and they look for heretics to murder it ends up of course being your regular scapegoats uh homosexuals um uppity women we call them witches um so this is part of like the witch burning phrase that happens but because with and with the witchcraft thing that's crazy we're just like it's like now anytime you're upset they're like ah you're on your period or you're like whatever it's like you can't well the witchcraft was catch-all for like what's wrong with you as a woman yeah uh you're a witch no 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 i'm a bitch do you want to have too much sex do you not want to have enough sex it's probably the devil yeah And that's what we're going to get. We're going to yeah. be talking after uh, after really eleven o'clock. It's so interesting. I love this whole uppity women idea as well. I want to get 
into that with her. Definitely. But it's that kind of unashamed thing. A woman who's uh, standing on her own two feet and she's not ashamed of the fact that she's a dirty mare. You know, that whole idea of, of mm. cleanliness and dirtiness and, you know, how throughout history, you know, the wife has been the one that you want to keep her pure because she's having your children and you want to be sure they're all your kids. Meanwhile, you're going off to seek your entertainment elsewhere from someone who, you know, in some cases, you know, when you're talking about courtesans, for example, they were referring there to a courtesan in, in Venice who, mm. who climbed the ladder but actually ended up dying in poverty because she, she got undone in the end. Yes. Um, she was, you know, she was an intelligent well-read woman who was hosting these kind of salons where men would go to be entertained and sort of the geisha, the geisha fashion. Yeah, 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 totally sophisticated woman of the world. Yeah, yeah. So they were finding they were finding their sort of fulfilment in two different places. Yes. I just find it I just find it absolutely fascinating. Of course, that's the kind of one end of things and there is a dark side to it too and they address mm. that too. But and this whole idea that throughout history when um you know big authority figures have come in, they've always wanted to crush the minorities. So we're talking about, you know, homosexual men, uh, ethnic minorities, yeah, and as they say uppity women. Yeah. Yeah. So well, um, it's all about control, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny thing because, of course, there's, I was going to say remnants of that today, but it's probably bigger chunks of the pie than just a remnant. Um, I mean, for example, did you know until 2015, if you got arrested on suspicion of um, being a streetwalker in New York, if you had more than three condoms in your pocket, that was considered proof. What? Yes. Wow. Because that's a really old rule. And forget. What kind of nice woman would want more than three condoms? Yeah, I mean, forget safe sex and forget, mm -hmm. like, you know, you don't want to get some sort of disease or something. Precisely. And you might enjoy sex and you might be having a snoot full of hot monkey love that night. Yeah, I mean, I just remembered when I was a teenager um, and talking to my dad about, you know, wanting to go into show business or, you know, wanting to be a performer and... He was an older dad. I'm the youngest out of four. And, um, but he had some old world ideas about, well, you know, you got to be careful because you know what they say about actresses. No, dad, what do they say about actresses? Well, you know, they're practically the same thing as prostitutes. And I guess back in ye olden days, the old, um, who was, uh, the, the orange seller that was the, uh, Nell. Nell, Nell, the orange seller in the theater. I mean, she was supposedly a prostitute. I guess she was. And then an actress. And it's all the same thing because if you're going to display yourself on the stage, you're kind of touting for business. But as right? Caitlin will tell you, a lot of working class women ended up turning tricks to get by because what else are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to work as a barista at Starbucks <laughs> not. In, in 1708. Anyway, that's coming up after the news. You're welcome to phone in, though, whenever you want, about whatever you want. 0344 499 You're listening to Talk Radio. I'm Catherine Boyle. I'm Katie Puckrick. It is. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Talk Radio. Get more passionate debate, more outspoken opinion and more digital debate for the UK. Your voice counts. Get it heard on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking.
You're listening to The Late Night Alternative. I'm Catherine Boyle, and that is... Katie Puckrick. And we are talking about old pros. We're going to be speaking in a second to one of the women behind my new favourite podcast, The Old Pro Podcast, or The uh, Oldest Profession Podcast, to give it its, its proper name. And I'll tweet you links and stuff um, as soon as we finish, because if you're into history at all, if you're into um, you know the history of humanity, because it's not just about women, it's largely about women, but not just about women. And if you've wondered about you know the social morality behind sex work and the changing attitudes towards it you know come on we're all curious this is the podcast for you we'll speak to her in a second but uh, i just want to go quickly to paul hi paul hello hi Kath. hi katie hi what's going on paul hi i'm just following up regarding uh, the conversations that you've been having really just that uh, i saw something a while back about um it was about uh beer workers in like the old days etc they used to kind of have pointed hats they used to keep a cat to keep the uh, the sort of uh, rats away from the barrels and things. And they were obviously really independent women and they made loads of money. Yeah. Uh, and so therefore, basically, sort of they attached the idea of them being witches and stuff like that, really. Yeah. They made a fortune. Uh, so they were completely sort of independent and that's kind of why we got this idea of the witch with the pointed hat and the cat and all that stuff. So that's something I sort of read. And the other thing I wanted to sort of mention was the fact that you talked about actresses um, and sort of the links with, with the sort of the, the oldest trade and all that kind of thing. And it was I read something about Charlie Chaplin's mother who ended up with, uh, she ended up with syphilitic dementia. And what happened was she'd gone over as a, an actress and, and, and a singer on stage and she'd gone over, been sent over to entertain people in South uh, Africa. And when she'd gone over to entertain everyone, she was basically sort of uh, found out the other side that it was just basically a prostitution ring. Oh. Completely used up uh, over there and came back completely sort of distraught. Managed to marry a guy called, uh, I think it was Sydney Chaplin. I know, I know the name of the son, uh, Sydney as well, but uh, basically sort of uh, that's, that was the start of how she ended up, uh, you know, in, in the workhouses and things like that. So it just kind of, it's just been going going on a long time, hasn't it, you know? Yeah, I'm really interested about that first story, about the... The, the pointed wo- hats. Well, uh, the fact that these women were independent, they had a way to support themselves, they uh, had they had power because yeah. they weren't dependent on a man, and then that was a threat. Mm-hmm. So then they Absolutely. had to sort of be demonized. And, and I guess the thing is about that as well is that even children in those ages would have been drinking beer, so this person was kind of like your go-to yeah. person. Because it was cleaner than water. Yes. Absolutely, you know, so I'm, I'm, it's kind of like, you know, it's that person then becomes, like you say, a threat because they're the one who's making all the cash. Wow. Uh, and the power that would go with that, mm. uh, you know, and then basically sort of demonize them over a period of time. So eventually, you know, we get to Halloween. There's all this sort of like, you know, the, the little pointed hats and all these other things. But basically, it was sort of the beer trade huh. uh, from what I'd read, you know. So Good shout, Paul. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. I'm liking the show anyway. Thanks very much. We're thanks. liking you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank again. you. Bye. If you want to give us a ring, 0344 499 1000. But right now, we're going to cross over to Caitlin Bailey. Hello, Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Hello, how are you guys? My God, I'm so excited to talk to you. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. I love that caller, too, because it's like, you know, Charlie Chaplin's mom got sent over as an actress and then 
you know, discovered that it was a brothel ring. Exactly. <laughs> right. We, uh, uh, it's, it's, there's yeah. so many great stories, and I love your podcast, and I love the fact that you are fruity with your language, but i just got to tell you that we can't say F, F oh. or C, or, you know, we've got to be a bit careful on the radio. But oh. it's, it's all groovy. Sorry, I'm used to podcasts. I know, I know, and I, I love it. And that's part of the joy of it, that you're language. so free. No, it's cool. <laughs> so talk to me about how you got involved with this podcast, because it is just so refreshing to hear two women oh. completely proud and talking about history, but also the way you relate it to the modern times is just brilliant yeah it's it's interesting actually so i um you know i've been a stand-up comic for eight years and uh i worked as an old pro uh on again off again uh which is how most people do the oldest profession in and out um and i uh, you know i was a history major and i wasn't using my degree and i i kept doing podcasts and interviews and and running into just so much willful misinformation about what sex work is Mm -hmm. uh, and what its history is. And when I started to dig into it, I realized that that was by design. We've been um, erasing not just sex worker history, but women's history for thousands of years now. And so uh, I just started talking about it. I love the fact that you're trying to bust myths with this one. You know, you're trying to push forward this idea that sex work is work and so that women deserve Mm -hmm. to be respected and it's not something they should be ashamed of, but also that it should be a way for women to take control of their lives if that's the way they want to do it. But also kind of busting the myth that every sex worker is a victim because that's something that does get peddled a lot. And some are, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the full spectrum exists. Something that I say about sex work a lot is that uh, sex work is a lot like sex and also a lot like work um, and that it's all kinds of people doing all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons and having all kinds of feelings about it. Um, So, you know, that's been this idea of women being um, kidnapped and forced into a kind of slave trade is a piece of propaganda that started um, in England in the uh, 1860s with the Contagious Diseases Act and the uh, suffrage temperance movement there, um, and all in the United States in the 1890s. So it's like the progressive era of both of our country's histories uh, started peddling this idea of white slavery almost as a response to the feminist movement that was happening. Um, And a lot of white middle-class suffragettes got caught up in that rhetoric um, and ended up, uh, you know, dare I say sort of like appropriating is probably the wrong word, but being fooled um, into peddling this myth of women's helplessness as they were peddling for more independence. Yeah, one of the first part of your podcasts I heard was about the woman who was a working woman. Uh, She kind of went in and out of sex work, as a lot of working women did, because, you know, if you end up with no husband to support you, then what the hell are you supposed to do? It's not like you can go and, you know, go and work at Starbucks for, for every weekend and right. try and make some money up. So she ends As up in this... somebody l- who worked at Starbucks, you can't feed yourself I, doing that I, either. And I love the fact that you say that your worst job was at Starbucks and you've done, you've done all <laughs> kinds of things certainly, since... It, it was certainly my most exploitative job. But this woman ended up in a lock hospital where they're treating people with more uh, with mercury, which, you know, and, and yeah. also gets framed for syphilis. Tell me about that woman. I can't remember what her name was. Her name was Harriet Hicks, and uh, really she's just one of many examples of the, conti- the Contagious Diseases Act uh, that were, was passed in port towns in England um, as an effort to combat uh, syphilis, because I forget what war y'all were in, but there was a war. 
Um, and there's always a war. And, uh, and people realized that syphilis was having um, a negative impact on the British fighting force. But rather than testing uh, soldiers, they decided that it would be easier to round up uh, quote-unquote loose women uh, by army bases and subject them to mandatory STD tests, which, of course, in the 1860s is just a doctor uh, looking at you and deciding whether or not your genitalia looks slutty. And this is where Um, they invented the speculum, is that right? Yes, this is when they invented the speculum, yes. Uh, Yes. And so I think that women who have subjected themselves to gynecological exams uh, have always deeply suspected that it was a form of torture. And you're right. That was uh, what it was for. It was for punishing women who had the audacity to be out in public. Um, And, of course, as we know uh, from the Black Lives Matter movement and police brutality, uh, the basic uh, personality trait uh, or the basic police Police officers have not changed that much over the course of the centuries. So they've mostly been a force of social control. And so, uh, you know, you're putting police officers in absolute control over any uh, working class woman um, who, you know, the police officer says that you are a prostitute. How are you going to prove that you are not? Yeah. And, the, and the doctors would back them up most of the time. Yeah, oh, absolutely, of course. And, Kate, complete, and Caitlin, uh, the thing that I'm so... I'm interested in the fact that you talk about overall when you're looking at sex workers throughout history, it really is about control, controlling these women yes. and shutting them down and silencing their voices, uppity women, as you call yes. them. Uh, absolutely uppity women. And I think that, like, sex workers are, you know... Are you allowed to say whore? Is that a cuss word? Yeah, I, no, it's not a, a cuss badge word. Of honor. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I was like, I don't know what the rules are because I don't follow any of them. But uh, <laughs> I I think it's it's interesting that, you know, the, the role of whore has often been used to limit the freedom of movement and freedom of expression of all women because you, you pick out this supposed, like, subclass um, and pick them out and say, this is unacceptable. Except that if you, if you go back through history and you look at like, defini- like what the definition of a whore is, in the medieval period, it's just a woman that is having literally any kind of sex outside of marriage. Um, you know, whether there were, or not there was an exchange, it was irrelevant to the definition. And then later you see that the definition of whore is a is a public woman, a woman who puts herself in public. And we see that on display now when Donald Trump called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman during the second debate. Mm-hmm. He was really calling her a whore. And what he was really chastising her for, which has been the, the original sin of sex workers, was having the audacity to take your life uh, on its own terms and to, and to go out there and violate social mores and speak your mind. Because historically, sex workers have been the most vocal uh, feminists, the most vocal uh, women out there in, you know, intruding into male spaces um, because they don't have, you know, a husband to obey and they've already violated uh, the social mores. So they're they're. They're the freest women in any given culture when you look back in history. And the attitude, as you say, that people like Donald Trump, but let's go to Trump in particular, makes what happened with Stormy Daniels and the fact that most people got behind her and were not going to be, you know, (laughs) turned against her because of the fact that she'd been a sex worker. That makes it all the sweeter, doesn't it? It does make it all the sweeter. And I'm so... 
uh, excited about what's happening with the Stormy Daniels narrative as she's become sort of a darling of the left, and we are forcing journalists to sort of re-examine the language that they use with sex workers because they don't want to repeat the old trope. You know, like Rudy Giuliani said, you know, she's a prostitute, therefore why would you listen to her? And, of course, my response is, like, Donald Trump is a liar. Why would you Precisely. listen to him? But it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same kind of weight uh, for reasons that I think betray a deep uh, misogyny yeah. uh, in our culture. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's using that term to, to make someone less than. And, um, yes. and actually, this is a woman who's got absolutely nothing to lose. Yes. And also, the other thing she's is, already, she, she's so happy, she's at the top of her she, game. She owns it. Yeah, she owns it, and she yeah. is uh, in charge of her life, and this is her business. I mean, this is good for her business. Yeah, it's not a revelation. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. No, she's gotten comfortable with her status as a sex worker long before uh, this Trump incident happened, um, which I think is something that we should be seeing more of. I would love to see a sex worker rights movement mirror the tactics of the LGBT movement. Because I think that the, you know, stigma silences and silence isolates. Um, you know, we, we believed 50 years ago that, you know, gay people were mentally ill and, you know, had like mommy issues and were this like sort of sad, uh, terrible group of people that you wouldn't wish that condition on your worst enemy. And the reason that that myth was able to exist was because the stigma around coming out as homosexual was so much that nobody did. So nobody knew how many perfectly reasonable, totally functioning uh, gay people that they knew. Yeah, family members. We did it. Yes. So if we have a similar attack, I mean, you let me assure you, you know and love and respect a sex worker. You, if you if you go back in history, about 20 or 25 percent of women in any given period, depending on economic factors and lots of other stuff, uh, do some kind of sex work at some point in their life. Even if it's that just exchanging huge. sex for a service yes. or to be allowed off, yes. you know, a, a payment for something may not may not have been money exchanging yes. hands, but certainly it's been used as some some sort of currency. Yeah, some collateral for sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I personally want to include Hooters waitresses um, under the big red umbrella of those workers. I'm I'm interested um, in those any. those Hooters waitresses because um, that is fascinating to me as an American. I live in Britain, but whenever I go back to the states, I'm always interested that. Hooters restaurants are family restaurants, yeah. and you have the waitresses and their little teeny, like, you know, gym mm-hmm. girl shorts and their low-cut tops and a jiggle and a wiggle. And then there's dad with his tween kids having burgers and milkshakes. Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, people say all the time, I'm like, oh, sex work is coming into the mainstream. I'm like, Bro, it's been in the mainstream. I, I tour as a stand-up comedian. I have never been, no matter how small the town, there's always a strip club. Yeah. We are, we are everywhere, and we have always been everywhere. Yeah. I, th- I think the fact that now that there's more of a move to own it and to say, right, okay, well, mm-hmm. the, sh- the shame has been used as a stick to beat us with for too long. And t- talk to us about the yeah. um, the Red Umbrella movement, because I know that you are really political and you're trying to get more people to, to get under that banner. Well, 
I don't know that it's totally healthy. I feel like my involvement with politics is like doing emotional cocaine. Like, that sort of feels like a little bit like a, it feels like a relapse for me, but I have no place to put this righteous rage. And so politics feels better uh, than actual cocaine, uh, which only makes me more insufferable at parties. Um, and being a history major did that to me a long time ago. Um, I'm, I'm really am like this all the time. So, like, you know, I, my poor partner brings me out to dinner and I'm like, the history of sex work. And he's like, ask them about themselves. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the red umbrella has become an international symbol for sex worker rights. Now, most um, sex worker activists go back and pinpoint the beginning of the contemporary sex worker rights movement as happening uh, in Lyon, France in 1975, when 200 working mostly street-based sex workers occupied the, I mean, I always mispronounce this, the Church of St. Nazir, uh, but it's French, so who knows how it's That'll do. Um, right, yeah, Nazir, Google it. We did an episode about it. Uh, and demanded an end to police brutality and stated that uh, our children do not want their mothers in jail. So it was an anti-shaming campaign and an anti-police brutality campaign. Now, as a stickler for dates, I want to say that the WHOM organization, which is whores, housewives, and other mothers, and the Coyote organization, Call Off Your Old Tired Ethics, were founded in 1973, which technically predates this. But this began an international conversation uh, and actually forced the, uh, the, I think, the prime minister of France um, on a very embarrassing television episode to confront um, sex workers who were wearing masks um, and demanded why uh, they were stigmatized. So the, the Red Umbrella Movement is international. Um, it is made up of, you know, old pros. Um, organizing sex workers is a little bit like organizing comics. Um, it is very challenging because we're all uh, individuals with individualistic ideas. Uh, if we could work for other people, uh, we wouldn't be doing what we do. <laughs> um, so, but we are united uh, internationally in ending the stigma around our profession that prevents us from self-advocating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, if something happens to you in the line of your work and you already feel stigmatized by it, you're not going to report it, are you? Especially if you feel like the police no, aren't on your side anyway. Not, not only that, but I, you know, every victim of domestic violence that I've ever interacted with was called a whore, whether she engaged in sex work or not. Yeah. But if you are actually a sex worker and you partner with an abuser, they can leverage that against you um, to keep you from reporting things to the police and to threaten to take your children away. And that's something that comes up time and time again in your podcast, the fact that it's easier to take a prostitute's children away from her than someone who's got a drug problem. Yes. We see it over and over again. And that, like, you know... It, Sex work is a kind of marginalization that makes it difficult to participate in the criminal justice system that we have. And it, it makes it difficult to uh, participate in everyday life. I mean, sex workers have been mothers uh, the whole time. Yeah. Um, and to argue that we are somehow lesser than is to willfully ignore um, all evidence, all history, and all just common sense. Oh, man. Caitlin, I could talk to you all night, but we've got to go. But uh, thank, oh. you, thank you so much for this. Yeah. It's been a thrill. And thanks for that podcast. I've got so many more to go, and I don't want it to end. So please don't tell me that you're going to do like a season finale or something, and then it's going to be gone. No, 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 no. No, you, you can't. There, there is no sunset on uh, the oldest profession. You're um, wonderful. It goes on and on and on. So how do we find <laughs> thank you? Thank you so much. 
Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Caitlin Bailey. Uh, my parents misspelled my name. It is K-A-Y-T-L-I-N. Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y. Of course, you can follow the podcast at Old Pro Podcast. Right now, we are trying to get the first uh, national candidate for Congress who is explicitly supporting sex worker rights uh, elected, but normally it's jokes. Um, And uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, We have websites. Come just check us out. The Oldest Profession Podcast. We're on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, and, of course, I'm Caitlin Bailey, a professional Malvey whore. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness you are. Thanks very much, Caitlin. Good, good to speak to you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Hey, no pleasure. Thank you so much. So if you want to talk about that, you can do. 03444991000. We've got a lot to think about, right? Yeah. You're listening to Talk Radio with me, Catherine Boyle, and Katie Puckrick. Democratic Sonic Involvement. Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. Yeah. Listen to this one. This is about, um, I was t- talking about this um, podcast called Rum, Rebels and Ratbags, okay? And it's kind of related to the sort of stuff that Caitlin was talking about because it's about the foundation of Australia yeah. and how, you know, the first shipment was full of male convicts who were sent out there for punishment reasons, obviously, but obviously, and, and also put to work. And then the people that were sending them over there started thinking about them in terms of colonists rather than prisoners because there was no such thing as a prison um at the time when people were being um what do they call it not not deported they were uh, repatriated it's not that what is it anyway i can't remember but at the time when people were being sent to australia or sent to america Mm. um it was because they were you would have a prison for holding reasons but as soon as you were found guilty you you got hanged and you'd be hanged for things like stealing an apple and, you know, they right. didn't have prisons for long-term imprisonment. So they would get transported, that's the word, right. to Australia. And the first um, load of guys that went over there, all men, convict, and then they realised that, you know, you can't populate a nation with all men. And actually what was happening was there was quite a bit of homosexuality happening. Right. Um and Pris- not just amongst the men. in a desert. Yeah, and not just amongst the convicts, but also because they were sort of blending in with the guards and, you know, was, so they decided they would ship a load of prostitutes over as well. Okay. And, and mayhem ensued. Right. But actually they ended up building this kind of new world. And, and Australia became, after a number of years, and at first it was hard, you know, there's stories in this podcast about them starving to death or having no clothes and having to wait for ships to come, you know, to bring them supplies from England. And people people were were lucky to survive in those early years. But as time went by, they started to establish this kind of new order whereby women who married the convicts were the ones that would own the land because the convicts couldn't own it because of their history. Right. So by law, they were not allowed to own property. Exactly. So the women had it. And so the women had power. And that's part of the reason why Australia gave women the vote much, much earlier than everywhere else in the so-called civilized world. That's so interesting because when there's that kind of imbalance with gender, I mean, that's what we're seeing now in China and Mm -hmm. in India for various reasons. China, because they're aborting girl fetuses. India, more or less the same thing. And uh, they have, what, like 25% more men than women. And it's a scandal. And you have these men who are despairing of ever, ever teaming up with a woman. Mm -hmm. And it's sexual violence, of course, peaks at that point. Well, India is terrible for sexual Mm -hmm. violence. And then China is sort of a different situation going on there but the long and the short of it is it really not only is it terrible for morale but it's terrible for their economy i mean if women are 
given a place at the table and they're allowed to thrive and contribute the way they can, mm -hmm. it it benefits everybody. I mean, a rising tide will raise all ships. It's true, true words. Very true. You were going to say something oh, about... Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to say there was something uh, when Caitlin was talking about this whole matter of control, you know, the, this idea that, you know, witches and uppity women and whores, you know, it's they need to be controlled. They need to be sort of stamped out. And any kind of independence is going to be suspect. It's mm -hmm. going to be a threat to, to the order. And the order is the patriarchy. Uh, I read something a couple of months ago that really tickled me, which was around the 1800s, women started to, I guess, bicycles were becoming more popular and women were like, this is so great because they had freedom. You yeah. know, they had a way to, to get around and they didn't have to, I don't know, like call call whatever the olden days version of the Uber was. They didn't have to like get the horse and buggy out. So suddenly... And by its nature, it was something you had to do on your own. So yeah. no one else could chaperone you. Yeah, that's right. So it was total independence. And so to counteract that, I don't know who started this, but the word came down from health professionals that you could suffer, that ladies in particular could suffer from bike face. And bike face was a dreaded disorder where basically your face would freeze in this grimace, this horrible grimace, because uh, bike riding was a fearsome thing to do, terrifying. You could fall over at any moment. And it was basically the old thing that, you know, your mom would tell you when you were a kid, which was, you know, don't make that face because the wind will change and it'll freeze. So there were apparently a whole list of things that could befall you if you were a lady riding a bicycle. Nice girls didn't wear trousers either, did they? So to be astride something like that, that would be outrageous. Yeah, you're grinding your kibbles and bits to mince beef. The trouser thing, though, it's, it's, it's carried on. I mean, even now, most school uniforms, maybe they brought trousers in recently, but most school uniforms have been, you will wear a skirt and it will be this length. And if you kneel down, it has to touch the floor and all that well, crap. Well, uh, here's my question as an outsider to your crazy, crazy, very entertaining Monty Python-esque culture. <laughs> the school girl's skirts are really short, aren't they? They look kind of tiny to me. You know why? Which is another we part. roll them up. Uh, okay. So you are uppity women and whores. They're just easier to walk in, aren't they? The yeah, shorter they are. I guess. And also, you don't want to look like your mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to roll my skirt. As soon as I... My mum didn't care. I think she actually taught me the trick. But, you know, I remember being told off for a teacher for having my skirt too short. Yeah. Damn it. My legs were great back then. I'm glad I did. <laughs> but, well, exactly. And I had it. You don't realize at the time, though, do you? When it's when you're a teenager and you're worrying about, you know, stuff that teenagers worry about, that actually you're at peak physical condition at that yeah. point or, or heading that way. It took me a while. I don't think I was at peak physical condition when I was a teenager. I think that happened when I was about um, 29. Oh, really? I've had a few peaks. So 29 was a good year and 42 was a good year. 42. Yeah. Right. I was like, I was really peeking out at 42. What was different about you at 42? Oh, I was getting married uh, for the second time. And I kind of, I went on a total, like, uh, basic training kind of military precision workout, all points bulletin assault on myself. So I was doing everything from hardcore Pilates to ballet classes to all sorts of things yoga i envy the fact that you can put yourself through that because i suppose that comes from being a dancer right that discipline yeah i've danced all, my whole life but the other thing was i stopped not that i drink a lot but i cut out drinking wine after dinner and yeah i got chiseled 
I didn't need those. I didn't need the uh, drawing on of the six pack. The six pack was there. Yeah, six pack was there. God, I don't think I've ever had a six pack. Uh, maybe it was a four pack. Well, look, I've never had any of that either. You were doing <laughs> bloody well. <laughs> um, what else were you talking about uh, earlier on? Oh, there's loads. Oh, tell you, oh yeah. Do you, want a, do you want a clunky gear change? Yeah. I, okay. Did you hear about the woman who got hit in the face with the sausage? Uh, that sounds fun. Right. Philadelphia Phillies. One of the fans was standing in the stand nearest to the ground. And apparently one of the fun things they do, and I've been to baseball games, um, is fire stuff out. Normally it's like T-shirts and stuff. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, the Philadelphia Phillies have got a mascot that fires out hot dogs from a massive hot dog cannon. Oh, my and God. She got one square in the face. Wait a minute. I just have to... I'm concerned about her, but I am more concerned about where can I get one of these hot dog cannons? <laughs> because this sounds like the next best thing to the chocolate fountain. <laughs> be amazing. Can I, if I just had a chocolate fountain and a hot dog cannon, that, I mean, I wouldn't be using my kitchen ever again. That would be you dumb. Yeah, she got it square in the face, knocked her glasses off. She got very badly bruised. But, I mean, what a story. So, wait, the hot dog, it didn't have a bun around it? It was no, just it was a wrapped wiener? in duct tape, apparently. You can't eat that thing. It's going to have sticky stuff on it. I don't know. Maybe you, it was foil as well. Like gaffer tape? Oh, okay. So it was foil and then they duct taped it. I guess they've got to make it aerodynamic because a hot dog by its nature is floppy, right? And that's not going to sell through yeah. the air as cleanly as if you've reinforced it with a bit of gaffer. But how aerodynamic is it? Like, did they put wings on it? What, like fins and stuff? Yeah, fins. I'm going to say, yeah. Like a dart. You know, like <laughs> the end of a dart. If they had like a feather on it, then it can kind of go whoop, 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 through it, the air. It did her a mischief. Let's just say it did her a mischief. Hit a square in the face, bruising like she'd been beaten up and, uh, yeah, knocked her specs off. Okay, here's the thing. Baseball, number one, really boring. It's like rounders, isn't it? All, I mean, sport ball of any sort is usually, has TDM built in. Yeah. But, um... But baseball is exceedingly, it's like slow motion um, death. So, but the mo the most exciting thing that can happen in a baseball game is that perhaps you get, get hit in the face with something. So a lot of times people are getting hit in the face with a baseball and that's a good thing. Like you want that baseball, but the hot dog. So I don't know. I think she might just be whining about that weenie. <laughs> she probably is. Have you ever sustained a food related injury? Uh I have I sustained a food related injury. Let me think. Well, I have just by binge eating. <laughs> and uh I used to be really big on donuts, Krispy Kreme donuts, and uh I could there was a point in my life when when I could easily eat a dozen if they were warm, if they were fresh out of the oven. Mm -hmm. Um and that was I mean, that kind of goes back to the Burmese python situation where, you right. know, I'd have to to lie quietly for, ma for many hours. For fear of bur bursting. Yeah, exploding. <laughs> there could be a, a donut explosion in my midsection, and that would be ugly. And that would be like a hot dog cannon. I once speared myself on an oil pourer. I mean, that's probably the most middle-class injury I've ever sustained. You know those, like, oil, it looks like a sort of pointy thing with a tube with a sharp edge on it oh is a it, drizzler oh is it like a like the tin man's hat or just something? like that just like that so i'm reaching up and I'm, I'm a short person and i was reaching up for something in a high shelf and as i brought my arm down quite quickly i brought it straight down onto this this oil drizzler <gasps> i have a food related injury you just reminded me with your okay so um in my gluttonous past i do love food i love to be chewing swallowing um 
I was uh, trying. I was nine years old, and there was a can of cheese puffs, my favorite snack. Oh my gosh, I love those. And I don't know why in those days they were in a can instead of in a bag. And so it was one of those dangerous olden days cans that just had really sharp edges. So it had a pull top and I pulled the top and I to this day have a scar on the back of one of my fingers God, from like, this. Yeah. And it was pouring out blood, but it didn't stop me from enjoying the no, salty cheese snacks. No, it's just a constant reminder that cheese puffs are good and they're yeah, worth it. They're worth it. Oh, three, four, 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 nine, nine, one thousand. You've sustained a, a, a related injury, a food-related injury. I know you have. So give us a ring, 0344-499-1000. Or you can text TALK and your message to 87222. Um, or you can, hang on, I've got to tell you that it's 25p per message on top of your standard network rate. Um, or you can um, tweet us. It's uh, at FlippinCath, at Katie Potcrick, at Talk Radio. Take your pick or don't. You can put the whole lot in. You're listening to Talk Radio with me, Catherine Boyle, and her Katie Potcrick love to hear from you but if not we'll just wang on you know we will wang doodle the mother of all radio stations talk radio we'll get you talking and if you want to talk give us a ring 0344 499 1000 hiya jackie is that me it's you oh you nearly oh, i couldn't hear my voice then hi baby okay yeah i'm fine thank you how are you doing yeah and lovely for uh, to speak to katie as well how yeah are you? hi jackie i know you did send me a little Hello before I'm I know. Thank you very much. I very much appreciated. Right. Years and years ago, Kath, when I um talking about meeting famous people mm-hmm. right, um although we weren't allowed to talk to them, we could take pictures and certain things. I used to work in a place called New Brighton Swimming Pool. It was an open air pool and one year when I first started work about eighty three, eighty four. Right. Um we had a Granada TV came and uh, filmed a whole week uh, of a pop concert called New Brighton Rock. So I got to meet so many stars of the day, starting from um, who was there? It was Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Gloria Gaynor, Wow, The Weather Girls, Wow, Madness. It's like a total top of the pops cavalcade. Uh, was, well, the the fortunate thing was we we were in there during the day. Oh, I was a cashier um, during the season at New Brighton, and during the day, obviously, we had to be in work, and our we had uniforms provided, and we were allowed to go and sit and watch the watch the more rehearse. You know, with all the camera angles and yeah. everything, and I've still got a photo album of all the pictures that we took. And um, who else was there? There was, uh, oh, the Flying Pickets, uh, Spando Ballet, what? Nick Kershaw. So who was your favourite and who was an idiot? Yeah, that's um, what I want to know. Like, who was badly oh, behaved? It was Eddie Grant, Ed, Eddie Grant as well. Do you know what? None of them were idiots because although we weren't allowed to talk to them, they waved at us and they Aww. sort of gave us the thumbs up and things. So we were all made up. We were all sitting by the uh, one of the changing room areas at the back of the pool, and we just all sat there mesmerised watching. I think my favourite was Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Ah. Because they sang Relax. Mm. And um, when the evening, we were there in the evening as well. We were there all day. So when they started filming of the evening, they gave free tickets out to all the young kids in the area. And so for the crowds. And um, when they did Relax, of course, when he sang that famous line, Hit Me With Your Laser Beams, the whole pool just lit up. Oh. There was laser beams coming from everywhere, and I actually spoke to Holly Johnson. I went to see him in um, 
the Philharmonic Hall in Liverpool one year with my sister, and I tweeted him and he said, oh, it'd be lovely to meet you. And I said, well, I've actually got two pictures of you that I took from the New Brighton Rock. It was the natural, you know, they were talking by the poolside and rehearsing and things. So it was during the day, not one of the action pictures. And he was absolutely made up. So I sent him the pictures and then he sent me a lovely autograph and hey. picture back for me. So that was really nice of him. Yeah, oh. he didn't need to do that. You hadn't asked for that, but he just no, did it. No, Well, I said, and, and the pictures, because they were so natural. And I believe one of the members, I was talking to a friend of mine today, he's just come over from uh, New Zealand for a few weeks on holiday. Mm-hmm and to visit old, old haunts and things. And he worked at the baths with us. And he said one of the members of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, I think it's Paul Rutherford, he now lives in New Zealand near him. So it was like, you know, all little things fitting in together today. It was really nice. Oh. Yeah. So how long's your friend over for? Uh, he's been over for four weeks. He comes over every couple of years, apparently. But I found him on Facebook and I messaged him. He said, oh, I'm coming home in June. I said, oh, I'd love to meet up with you. So we went down to... There's a, I live on the shoreline, on the coast, as you know, on the Wirral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we're Because um, we're a peninsula, we're surrounded by water, and we've got some really nice coastlines. So we, went, we met down at the shore today, and there's a little cafe down there, so we had a nice cup of coffee. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't weird after all these years? No. No, it wasn't. No, it was lovely. Yeah. It was... Um, he used to be with somebody, but they they parted, and she lives in London, so I've not been able to contact her yet, but I found him. So, yeah. you know, it was just nice to catch up on old times and talk about things and about what happened in the, you know, the baths and all the, um, and the New Brighton Rock and everything. So I just thought I'd share that story with oh. you tonight. Hey, I'm glad you did. Thanks, Jackie. All right, there you go. Thanks, Kath. Bye, Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Meeting up after all these years. I mean, I always liked the idea of it, but I did it once. And I was going to go and stay at her house for the weekend. And um, I must admit that I was worried about it. I thought, what if we don't get on? Thankfully we did, but it's it's a brave thing to do, put yourself back out there, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but now with Facebook, social media, don't, it's you're sort of like always never not in touch. Yeah. Isn't that right? I mean, you can kind of coast along and piggyback on people's lives and see what's going on. Yeah. Saying that, I've not looked at Facebook for ages. It started to do my nutting. Why is that? Oh, it's just people, you know, I think sometimes, and maybe it's to do with the fact that if your life isn't going particularly as you want it yeah. to, or, you know, you kind of, there are some people who are always on there and they'll post every little thing. And possibly I did it when I had very small kids, especially people with little kids. Yeah. I think, yeah, okay, well, all babies burp. We don't need to see a video of it every time it happens. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of. But you know what? I always just uh, unfollow them. So, I, you know, I stay friends, yeah. but I just unfollow so I don't have to see the annoying... I keep the interesting ones. Yeah, but, you know, the ones that are taking pictures of their dinners and, you know, taking you through every single m- moment of their lives can get a little bit much. Can't yeah, it? it can get a little tedious. So I was thinking, you know, we were talking at the beginning of our chat tonight about unequal intellects yes. and partnerships and how, you know, it's it's kind of a tricky thing when you... It's one thing when you think about your past and you think about who you've been with and you know have you always been the smartest one have you always been the smartest one in your relationship or is it kind of even steven um 
It, it's varied. I remember my first boyfriend was a bit of an... You know, it was one of those things I told you before. At the time, we went out with each other for five years. And this, Is and this the one who smoked on the toilet? No, the one different from guy. France? Okay. Different guy. Okay. This one... Or this, Spain. Yeah, this Span- he was yeah. a Spanish guy. I, okay. I've never had a French boyfriend. That's something I, I need to sort out. But this first guy, well, we went out for five years and we started out as friends. And then towards the end, I kind of started to realise that I was being crushed a little bit all the time. I remember uh. telling him that I wanted to be a journalist. He said, what of? You don't know anything. Oh, dear. And, you know, actually, I aced my A-levels and yeah. he cocked his up. And I think there may have been something to do with that, him trying yeah. to sort of just dampen me down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because it's self-hatred. Yeah. And he's passing it on to you. But then, you know, I'm, then I married someone who is super supportive and thinks, you know, thought the sun shone out of my backside and stuff. Mm. And that, actually, that could be an extra pressure when someone thinks that much of you, you know. So, yeah. You know, but, you know, after a few years, you strike the happy balance. But... No, it's not always been equal. And actually, I think with that first guy, he was a bit, a bit threatened by it. Hmm. Well, I had a boyfriend that I thought was fantastic, and there was definitely sizzle between us, because sizzle can count for a lot. Oh, yeah. But sizzle can blind you to everything else that's yes, missing. Yes, yes, yeah. And um, he did a bad thing. He cheated on me. And so then the sizzle de-sizzled, the bubbles burst. And um, then I realized, you know, we didn't, share an intellectual level i didn't really notice it because here's the thing he thought i was so interesting and fascinating so that kind of falsely bounced me along for a while because i thought like yeah i'm great you know you think i'm great sure i'm great he thinks i'm brilliant that means i must be i must be great and so then i was sort of the one driving the relationship hey we're going here we're going to check this out we're going to see this person and then that gets a little exhausting. Anyway, the next person I met after him was so intellectually stimulating, and he thought I was a big brain box. So that was extremely flattering. But in fact, that has its own problems as well. But um, I was thinking about uh, a guy I was with. In fact, we've just been chatting online a little bit, Tony. Um, and we were together for many years, and he he knew that we were going to be talking about this. So he's just uh, contacted me on Facebook to go, which one am I, smarter or dumber? <laughs> so, Tony, I think I think we're both on the level. I think there's a give and take there. But the thing that so interested me about his background was right before me, he'd been with a woman for six years who he met at the office. He met her at work. And she was the most beautiful woman at work, like long legs, blonde hair, completely opposite to me. And uh, all the men at work fancied her. And I guess he nabbed her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he put it was, they went on a date and it turned into a long weekend. And then she never left. So basically, she just lived with him for six years. So she kind of moved in by stealth. Yeah. Well, she didn't even, it was no stealthiness, but there was no discussion. It was just like everyone was very passive about it. But so that was all fine. However, he soon discovered that she wasn't very smart. She didn't have opinions of her own. And all she would do to kind of keep up with him would be to parrot his opinions (sighs) and views and insights and perceptions back at him. So it was the most tedious thing in the world. So he's telling me the story. I went, wait a minute. Okay, I got it. Here's the one thing that here's where the math does not add up. Six years you were together when you're saying she's the most tedious woman. I mean, albeit pretty. And I don't know if this is a guy thing. And I said, this is just like you settled into the comfy sofa and you turned into a you had a relationship couch potato Mm -hmm. situation going on. So I don't, I don't know if that's it. Pretty must go a long way. Pretty must go a long way. I mean, I guess they're a lot less t- 
problems? Like, I don't know if this is a control thing. Pretty and also thinks you're really clever. Yes. And flatters your ego in, in that way uh, and as an accessory. But then that makes him sound like a boob. And he's not a boob. He's a really smart... I mean, I picked him to yeah. be with. Uh, we picked each other. So, And we were together for many years. Like I think we were together like seven or eight years mm -hmm. or something. So I, I just don't understand. Or the nine years, I think. So I don't understand how he ended up with, you know, d sweet but dim lady. So I don't know. Is this something... I'm wondering if the listeners have any insights into this like the give and take can you help us out with this oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand also here's a here's a broader thing long-term relationships have you ever emerged blinking into the sunlight after a long-term relationship <laughs> and realized that you started out going with one person and ended up with someone oh, else yeah. and actually by the end you were someone else too yeah i think we all change and develop and it's about whether you go in the same direction or whether you grow apart well right? some people just grow into the one big blobby person well, exactly god but they're the ones that get along and end up going on holiday and wearing matching jumpers and <laughs> held up by their children as being you know the archetypical um you know the the, the aspiration yeah finish each other's sentences exactly. e eat off each other's plates yeah yeah they make me want to puke let's speak to nigel hi nigel Oh, hi, Catherine. Hi, I, I bet you're going to be confused now. Hi? Hmm? <laughs> uh, am I talking to Catherine? Yes. Oh, good. But where's Ian tonight? Tonight he's in New York City. Is he listening to the show? I hope not. <laughs> he's supposed to be out having a good time, but you know what he's like. Yeah, he hasn't got... It's not a TV show he's doing, is it? And... New York. As far as I know, not. But last time, do you remember what happened when he said he was going uh, to write a book in Wales? He, <laughs> he ended up in yeah. the jungle. So I don't believe a word that man says anymore. No, no. But I hope he's having a good time anyway. Well, we all do. Yeah. Are you having a good yeah. time, Nigel? What's going on in your life? Yeah. I am. Um, I'm just watching Ken Dodd with the sound down at the moment. Uh, Ken Dodd. This is 1980s 80s show. Right. Long time ago, but he was good, wasn't he, Ken Dodd? He was all right. My grandma's always a Ken Dodd fan. And he was a good, not a bad singer too. Not, yeah. a, not a fantastic singer, but, but a fairly good singer. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you. I've got some new songs out um, that that are not well, are going on to um, you uh, iTunes soon. Oh yeah. And um, they're on they're on my Facebook at the moment. Mm. The world it's a world it's a, a keyboard. You have to look for well the name world it's a. Uh, the, yeah, record player. Well, it's a record players, and it's on my Facebook, Nigel Reader. Yeah. I was wondering whether you could connect, play the, the YouTube over the air. The I can't. Over, over, the I, I haven't got the same system that Ian's got. Can you not play it down the phone? No, because I haven't. I haven't got that. No, I haven't got the actual original copy. Now I've only got um, one that was uh, sort of a demo one, a demo tape. Yeah, but you got uh, your YouTube. Have you got your YouTube open? Uh, what you mean, playing mine over the phone? Yeah. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be clear, and it wouldn't be loud enough because my 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 uh, laptop's not very loud. It wouldn't be loud enough. Oh no! Um, put we put, put the phone close enough. Can't. It won't make any difference, will it? Oh, well, I haven't got it. I haven't got it. The battery's got to be charged off. I've got it fixed off at the moment. Anyway, blimey! Um, uh, do you remember this? I'm going to sing something funny now, just to make you laugh. Do you remember this uh, years ago? When I'm calling you. Indian love song. <laughs> very impressive. Hey? It's very impressive. Indian love song. Yeah. 
Because I used to get an answer from the other end. <laughs> Come on, Catherine. <laughs> do the other bit. Do the other. Uh, I will answer too, Catherine. <laughs> I, oh, is that what it is? I will answer too. <laughs> what on earth has made you think of that song, Nigel? Because Ken Dodd's just done it on his TV. <laughs> I bet he has. Mm. You say he's just done it. He did it in 1985. Is he yeah, dead? He did it in He's quite uh, dead. Anyway, I thought, not many people do that comedy sketch now when I'm calling you, do I? No, there's a reason. Anyway, you thought it's before your time anyway, isn't it? Just, just a bit. Just a bit more than a bit. Because <laughs> you're only about 25, aren't you? Yeah. Is that, good? Is that right? No. Are you older? Yeah. 30 then. <laughs> bit, a bit older than that. 33. <laughs> Keep going. I'm 38. Keep going. <laughs> I'm 40. Correct. Really? Yeah. You don't look 40 in the video. When I've seen you on, on the video. Well, okay, well. It's the RuPaul lighting it's we the, have in here. We've got amazing blasty have you lighting. Have American lady in the studio with you? I think so. Yeah, that is you, isn't it? Uh, it is. It's totally are me. You, you're, are you actually in the studio? Yes. talking from New York. I am not anywhere near New York. I'm just right here in oh, Londinium. Do you, do you appear on um, New York television? Nope. Not oh, lately. Well, you're a radio person then? Well, I well, radio, radio and television person, but not in New York. I'm mostly mm. in these green and pleasant oh. aisles. California as well? I used to live in California for 12 yeah. fun-loving years. Have you met Miley Cyrus by any chance? Not I no, I haven't yeah. met Miley Cyrus. But you haven't met Miley? No. no. Do you like Miley Cyrus? He likes her well, a lot. Well, I'm doing Facebook with her, and I'm always talking to her on no. Facebook and stuff. No. And uh, I, I wrote this song about Miley Cyrus. Uh, if you go to Miley Cyrus and Smilers, uh, Catherine, they put um, um, a thumbs up on my, that Miley song I did with Ian. I bet they did. Video. It's a great song. It's a hit. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, so I've had some points on record with Ian, so that's good anyway. So um, it's a bit late because of the neighbours. I can't really do a song this time of night. Oh, I'll, call up, I'll, I'll call up earlier tomorrow, if you like. Do it. I'll speak uh, to you then. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, nice talking to you. The news is coming up now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Across the UK, online and on DAB. Talk radio. Get more passionate debate, more outspoken opinion and more digital debate for the UK. Your voice counts. Get it heard on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. I just can't work Melania out, right? I can't either. Is she clueless or is she some kind of saboteur? I, you know, I'd like to think that she's some kind of uh, warrior within, like some kind of sleeper cell, which is going to bust out and feck everything up. But I don't know. I mean, I really think that she probably, when she got together with, with Donald, she thought she was signing up for gold toilets and yeah. white tigers yeah. and, you know, getting endless manicures. And now she's lumbered. With this nonsense, she doesn't want to be first lady. You never see her. They don't live together. No, and, and she is definitely not the person manning that Twitter account either, because the way it speaks and the way she speaks are completely different. Yeah, she didn't sign up for that. But this coat thing. Oh, the coat. Right. So she goes to the tented area One where the they're keeping the, the yeah the migrant kids the camps. Yeah, the 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 kids in cages. Yeah, and by the way, 
people discussing whether or not they're cages. I've seen them. They're cages. I yeah. can I can tell you that. I mean, yeah, cage is you know the chicken wire um, and the separation, the compi- the confinement. It it, it all spells yeah. cage. Yeah, let's not parse that. But um, so she went to see them, and she apparently asked whether how how much help she could be in reuniting them with their families. Okay, that's good. But she's wearing this coat that says, "I don't care, do you?" Huh. Right. In an age where. They are hyper aware yes. of social media. That family know that they are under extreme speculation. People are wondering whether she's living with her husband anymore, whether they're even talking to each other. Yeah, she disappeared for a month. She's been caught so many times and turned into a gif or jif of someone who can't stand to even touch his hand. Yeah. His tiny, tiny hand. Um and she wears a coat like that and doesn't realise that it's going to cause some kind of uproar. Yeah, no, it's very disingenuous for the spokesperson to, to then go, it's a coat. No, words matter, statements matter. This is uh, this is a statement. I mean, it's like when Catherine Hamnett met Margaret Thatcher and she had her Pershing Missiles uh, T-shirt that she was wearing. I mean, she's a walking billboard, Melania Trump. Um, even when there's not words on it, you know, people will say, oh, uh, was Michelle Obama wearing an American designer mm-hmm. or or was she being unpatriotic and wearing oh, God. Uh, uh, wearing something from France? This is a woman who who's made a living out of her appearance. Right. Yeah. And, and who prides herself in her appearance and who knows that that's what that's what she's marketing is that image. Right. Mm. This is a woman who wore a Jackie O style outfit to the, you know, to the inauguration. Right. She knows exactly what's going on. I can't. Is she not living with anyone who's advising her from the White House is what I'm wondering, because how do you put something like that on your back and not realize? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even an expensive coat. No, it's from Zara. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I mean, on the one hand, I have noticed that she loves her costumes. So she kind of will dress for like there was some I guess it was when there were the hurricane damage in Texas when she was wearing aviator glasses, kind of a top gun uh, army fatigue green military looking jacket and stilettos. Yes, I remember Uh, the shoes, the shoes. Um, so I think she does like kind of try to dress like she's, you know, barbying herself into that event. And so this jacket does look a little, I don't know, it's a bit, um, what's the mod jacket that people oh, yeah. wear? That like, kind a par- of, like a parka. Like a par- parka type thing, like a scooter. But yeah, the fact that it says, I really don't care, do you, question mark, is, it's a bitch move. Or is it? Is she misunderstood what that slogan means? Because <laughs> she doesn't understand English. It's her second language. Or Actually, no, I think it's her yeah. fourth language. Do you actually. care? You know, if it just said, do you care on the back of it? That's a different message. But does she? I know. I, I don't No, She's saying I really don't care. I know. And she maybe she thought it was like a middle finger up to naysayers to her. But of course, there's no other way you can read no. it than to say. I don't care about this charade yeah. that I this pantomime that I'm enacting. Yeah. I know. And it, of course, right, the first lady since Michelle Obama and, and previous first ladies have tried to make their role mo- more about, you know, having a social conscience and backing up what their husband's message is with, you know, something that's more nurturing maybe because they're a bit more removed from the nuts and bolts of politics. Mm. But a lot of it is about what you look like and a lot of it is about you know the image that you're representing they want to do a bit, everyone wants to do a princess diana since princess diana huh. and this is an absolute clonker 
It, she does look kind of cool in it, though. She looks cool, but the message <laughs> the message ain't cool. The message is not so cool for those kids in the cages. Oh, God. Uh, well, Apparently, Ivanka went and said, Daddy, can you do something about this? Oh, she always says that. I mean, that that's her whole gambit. Is like, I'm here as the modulating, moderating... The heart. Yeah, influence. And, uh, I mean, all of it is so disingenuous because there shouldn't have ever have been a crisis i mean the fact you know yes he could do something about it because he was the person who put it into action to begin with kids in cages yeah and now he wants the credit for stopping doing it he's big on getting credit yeah extra credit unearned it's like someone kicking you in the nuts repeatedly and then saying and now i'm going to reverse my policy of kicking you in the nuts do i get a mars bar for that i mean god it's 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 incredible, but this is someone who's never had anyone say no or question his authority. Oh, uh, and if they do, he ignores them. Yeah, I mean he's special. <laughs> he, he's somebody. I mean, we've everyone has said this before, but I mean he's kind of a limited individual that is uh, malformed yeah. and uh, you know, kind of uh, he's a freak. That's why he's so fascinating because you just can't believe that he is not constrained by social mores and what people think and what people say. And in fact, he's spurred on by it. And what's absolutely sure about him is that he's 100% consistent. So if he, and he says it himself, he's the same now as he was when he was 10 years old. And the stories you hear about him in, in school and coming up towards adulthood, he's a, a arrested development individual who likes to fight. A story I heard out of the White House recently was that apparently he rips everything up after he's worked on it, right? Yeah. But all the, his papers. All his papers. Yeah. But the rules are that everything that the president has touched, every bit of paperwork, has got to go into an archive. Yes. For future. So there is someone at the White House whose job it is is to pick up these bits of paper off the floor and paste them back together. An apt metaphor for the state of America right now. Oh my God. Because we're going to be all pasting that paper back together the constitution in this case yeah democracy is in shreds i mean i don't really care do you i don't really care do you yeah it's a it's a tricky one i don't know how you bounce back from that but i wonder i just wonder how soon she's going to kick his ass out Uh, you know once he gets deposed his dictatorship or impeached or assassinated or, you know, other wishful thinking. But um, but if that doesn't happen, how is she going to ditch him? Because, you know, she's repulsed by him. I guess she's praying for his death of old age. I mean, how old is he? 76? Well, here's what I don't understand is... And also, he eats burgers every day. He eats burgers every day. I mean, isn't his thing to sit in bed and eat potato chips? Um and the yeah. White House tried to make him, like, good burgers, and he won't have it. He has to have takeout from McDonald's. Does he really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tried to, and they've actually tried to recreate the McDonald's burger because, obviously, there's a security risk involved in getting food prepared from somewhere, somewhere yeah, else, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he, no, he's a, he's interesting. I mean, he's a freak in a lot of ways, and one of them is physically, mm-hmm. because he's, like, one of those guys who's like, oh, I don't like vegetables. I don't have to eat them. You can't tell me what to do. And buy gum... He doesn't eat them. No. Should we talk about some a more intelligent life form? 
Oh, God. Did you hear about the sad demise of Coco the gorilla, who's died age 46? No, what happened to Coco? Coco died natural causes, I think. I think 46 is quite old for a gorilla. But this um, gorilla was special because um, she knew sign language. Oh. And she couldn't understand 2,000 human words. She knew 1,000 signs. She used to have a pet cat. Did you know about this? Oh, I knew she about named, it, yes. What she was named All Ball. Oh, oh. All Ball. Old all ball. Oh, all ball. Um, and when this kitten arrived, there's a great story about how she used to, you know, pet this kitten. She was very nurturing, and they could, they could, you know, com- converse with her about this kitten. It was something that she could look after. And um, at one point, the zookeepers found that um, a sink in her enclosure had been ripped off the wall. She blamed the kitten. <gasps> This thing had an intelligence, this thing. Coco had an intelligence of something like 97% when you think that the average for a human being is about 100. Wait, what is that metric? I don't understand. 97% 90, of oh, what? Sorry, not 97%. Uh, IQ of 97. Oh, no, IQ. 97. IQ of yeah. 97. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But oh. enough to blame the cat. For enough the- to blame. See, see how a little bit of intelligence, that's great. There's Coco telling the human i love you she yeah. probably said that but then a little bit more and you're blaming everything on your pet kitty <laughs> manipulation yeah yeah it gets into the manipulation and the prevarication yeah yeah but that's a, it's extraordinary that this this animal was able to learn a thousand signs two thousand human words did she could she tell jokes I'm not sure about jokes, but she could certainly kind of express herself. Apparently she was doing sentences and stuff. Yeah. Because the thing about apes is that they do, they are funny. Yeah. And they do, they play tricks. And birds do that too, like crows and ravens. Don't they play tricks? They're tricksters. Um, so that seems to indicate some sort of sense of humor. And yet... I still eat meat. Here's the I thing. Know, you know, they know. say pigs are really smart and then... Get me that hot dog cannon so from the ballpark. I, I find it really hard to explain it. My, my daughter has started saying, right, I don't want to eat this meat. And she said to me the other day, I don't want to eat pork anymore. And I said, oh, why is that? She said, because they're so cute. I went, well, right. yeah, but so are, you know, chickens to some people. So are cows. You've seen a calf. They're adorable. Yeah. They've got the best eyes. But, you know, I can't get enough of that meat. Yeah. I mean, I push comes to shove. I could get off of it. I suppose. I like tofu. It's fine. But cheese is good. I mean, there's enough variety of cheese these days that you could substitute some of that kind of meat. Oh, you know, I, I could get down with a, yeah, a whole umami uh, menu of cheese. Yeah. Yeah. I could have cheese starter, entree and afters. God, yeah. just, this conversation is making me hungry. I'm going to go have some cheese when I get home. You'll have nightmares. Or is that true? I don't think it's true because... That's my favorite late night snack, eating cheese. Why do people say that that's bad? I don't know. I don't know. I just remember it being in, uh, isn't it in um, A Christmas Carol where he thought that the ghost was a figment of his imagination or a bit of cheese or something? No, I don't know about that. Yeah. No, I late night, melted cheese, cheese on toast. So good. Classic. If you're fixing something up now, and there'll be someone listening to this who is fixing up something, um or is thinking about fixing it up, what are you having? Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. It's the only way we can eat by proxy, really. Um, yes. Right now, we can't get to a toaster. I do love a cheese toasty. I love a cheese toasty. But, you know, my problem with um, when people make me 
snacks, cheese-oriented snacks. I never put enough cheese on. No. So, like, if I go for a pizza, there's never enough cheese. I need, like, triple cheese. Because I, can, I consider the toasty part or the pizza crust part of, you know, any dish of that nature. That is just filler. And the cheese is the main event. I've been eating less bread recently because I'm trying to like sort myself out. I've hit 40 and I think that, um, you know, I feel like I'm getting thicker around the waist. I'm doing that thing that happens to some women where it gets... I, I've never had... I've always had quite a small waist and I've noticed that I'm filling out, right? No, you're telescoping into oh, yourself. God, yeah, I'm becoming a rectangle girl. <laughs> but, so I'm trying to sort of rein back. It's probably futile, but I'm trying, right? So I'm, I'm trying to cut down on the bread, but now all I can think about is bread. Oh, I don't really care about bread that much. Really? No. Oh, soft, cross. Oh my God, I love it. I yeah. love it. And I like the, the bread, white bread, the cheapest, the better. No. Butter on it. Oh my God. So I good. like butter though. Mm-hmm. It's I good for you. I, I eat a lot of butter. Yeah, I eat a big. I get, I get looks when I reach for the you know the pat of butter that they give you for the whole table at a restaurant. I take that whole pat and I slather it on. So good. Yeah, I need that in my life. So, can I ask you some questions about your um, previous incarnations? Yes. Because we were talking earlier on. We were talking yesterday, in fact, about Japan, weren't we? Because we went for a Japanese meal. Yeah. And you were saying how you'd started out as a dancer and yeah. the time you'd gone to japan was with the pet shop boy. yeah i was dancing on a world tour in 1991 and uh the first stop was japan it was so exciting um and we had already rehearsed for three months and this was a really big wang dang deal because they brought in uh an opera director to direct this show and it wasn't it was like 18 broadway shows in one concert because every single number had different costumes different choreography of course virtually different set and it was like a show within a show within a show so not only were we touring the world for 3 months i think we did 50 different concerts all over the world uh but also <laughs> Every night we were sort of touring the world in terms of, of the performance. But yeah, Japan was our first stop. And I remember distinctly, uh, there were 10 of us dancers, three backing singers, Neil and Chris, the Pet Shop Boys, and then a whole cavalcade of, uh, you know, the crew and of course hair and makeup, costume, wardrobe. Um, anyway, I remember we're all chattering excitedly on the plane. It was Japan Airlines and, um, I must have been chattering the most because the flight attendant came over to me and said very sternly, she was Japanese, she said extremely sternly to me that she said, your voice carries. Oh. And I was so ashamed of my carrying voice. Um, but she said, yeah, well, this voice is going to make me my fortune. Yeah, that's right. Look at Lady. me now. Look at me now. But... um that, so that was my first memory of Japan was shame. And then the next thing was we had, I think we had a few days off before, I think we had some rehearsals uh, because it was opening night. So we had to kind of tweak a few things. But opening night was all very excited because backstage, I mean, we got bored with this pretty quickly. But to begin with, it was like, wow, look at catering. Look at all this free food. And of course, with free food comes liggers and with liggers come models starving models and it turns out that this whole subculture 
in Japan of European models because they go over there. There's、uh, a, a demand for them. Yeah, they like our quote unquote big no- noses, don't they?、Uh, I don't know about the、yeah. noses. My, my friend's married to a Japanese girl, and he's, you know,、oh. he's he's a very average looking, redheaded. English bloke,、yeah. but in Japan he's hot news because he's got a big nose. How interesting! I didn't、yeah. know about the big nose. Yeah, I mean,、yeah. I just knew about the eye shapes and round eyes or big eye, or eyes with a fold in it. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So suddenly, I remember、uh, my fellow dancers and I were outraged in the backstage catering area in Japan because. These models were coming in and eating our food.、Um, I mean, they were—it was just like crisps and M and M's set out there. That's yours. Yeah. So I remember being very territorial about.、It. I mean, I got over that quickly. But it was a funny thing where they just kind of came out of the woodwork. These very beautiful statuesque men and women coming in to kind of scavenge the Western goodies that were on offer.、Oh、my. Hey, I want to talk to you about、um, when you work for Oprah, but we need to take a break. Okay, oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Though, if you want to join in, if you want to talk about something completely different, this is your radio show too. Give us a buzz. You can text us on eight seven two two two. Just put talk and your message on that one,、uh, and that will cost you twenty five p per message on top of your standard network rate. Or you can tweet us at Talk Radio at Flipping Calf at Katie Puckrick. Come on, you know the score. Most of all, though. Yeah,、uh, phones. I love hearing your voices. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Talk radio. Just replying to Paul on Twitter, who's asking about who, who was that listener from New York? I think he means Caitlin Bailey from、oh, the、yeah. old Pro podcast. Yeah, she's going to listen、great. to another one of those on the way home. Yes, yeah, so good. So. In 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 different news,、yes. talking about your old jobs, right? Yeah, all my old jobs. And I love the fact that you you mentioned earlier on that you、um, lived in、uh, LA for a while. Yeah, twelve years. And that's when you were working on with uh, Oprah, right? Yeah.、Uh, so the reason why I ended up in Los Angeles was I was headhunted by Oprah and her company when she started Oxygen, which is、uh, still going strong, better than ever. And they, at the time, I was doing a show for ITV called Pajama Party, and I love that show so much. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of, it was sort of a, a a less clothed version of what we're doing now, but it's just, it was like stupid and smart talk,、um, uh, just a lot of chin wagging and gum flapping, and、um, silly and smart, playful, frisky talk.、Uh, And also, kind of tied in with the whole ladet, yeah, so-called movement, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, is a word that I coined. I'd like to find an earlier citation than me using it. But、um, so I got headhunted because Oxygen was a network that was billed as a younger, hipper version of Lifetime, right? And you devised Pajama Party, yes, that was、yeah. your show, yeah, that's right. And so they said, "This is exactly this fits the bill for what we want for Oxygen." And they moved me over, lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, they just, you know, packed up everything in my apartment and shipped me over. And the next thing I knew, I was living in the Hollywood Hills and、uh, driving home, facing the Hollywood sign every night in Beechwood Canyon, and just really feeling like, you know, this is not a move I ever expected. And one of the first orders of business was to meet the principals who ran the company, which included Oprah. And、uh, we were invited out to Marcy Carsey's house. Carsey, Warren, and Mandebach were the company that did Roseanne and the Cosby Show and these really big sitcoms. Yeah, I remember those of these now disgraced individuals.、Uh, but they made a lot of money out of it. And so、uh, one of the executives. 
uh, had a beautiful house out in West Hollywood. And yep, the scuttlebutt was it was a big welcome, welcome to Oxygen Party. And Oprah was there. And I remember walking into the room and she threw her arms open to me and and Marcy Carcy and Tom Warner, the two big execs, said, and this is Katie Puckrick. And so I got this big, warm welcome and Oprah clasped me to her bosom. And there was lots of, you know, a cloud of hair just sort of in just, you know, getting just surrounding me. So I just felt totally sucked into the, the Oprah comfort zone. And then... um she said to me, she fixed me with a look and she said, are you the impersonator? Oh. So she had no idea who I was. Oh, man. So, I mean, I took it for what it was. You know, it's like I got close to her and, you know, got a got an Oprah hug. And then I, my brain was racing, you know, thinking about our callers earlier, you know, meeting celebrities. I was in this position now where I was thinking, oh, OK, I have her attention. Uh, you know, what can I say? Uh, so, so she'll like you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that she'll know that we're, we're kind of like, we share interests yeah. and, um, I, I could be fun and, you know, she'll want to hang out with me maybe. And so I started to bring up the movie that she'd produced, Beloved. Yeah. And I started to mention Tandy Newton, who's somebody I know a little bit. And right in the middle of me kind of like edging into the topic, she went, I got to go to the bathroom. And she just turned on her heel and left. Wow. So it was very interesting because the warmth was there and then it just as quickly wasn't there. And I guess she, you know, she can't be available and accessible to everybody because everybody expects her to be all Oprah all the time. But I did sort of think, hey, this is a party of like... You're supposed to be peers, aren't you? Yeah, 15 or 20 people, you it's know. It's not like you won a competition and there was a whole bunch of you there. Yeah, so it, it was it was kind of an insight into her. I'm not saying she's a big old fakey, bakey, phony baloney, but there was a sense that she was rationing out the yeah. Oprah-ness. A bit like, you know, at your wedding when everyone wants a piece of you, but you know you've got to say hello to everyone. <laughs> yes. You don't want to get stuck with anyone in particular for too long because you know you will be and you know exactly who that person is. Yeah. Um, and if they buy you a drink, you've got to put it down because you can't be there the whole time. That that must be what being an Oprah is like. You're yeah. at your wedding all the time. Yes. And that I had some insight into her because I had, a few years earlier, had written a profile of her for... Um, the Guardian newspaper. And so I'd flown out to L.A. and I had uh, was in the audience of uh, the taping of one of her shows. And when you see her in that context, she that is her at her most Oprah Enos. So she's very accessible. I mean, kind of weirdly, because she's not actually talking to you one on one, but she seems like she is. That's yeah. her her great skill. I mean, she has a boundless charisma. It's incredible. So there she is on on the sound stage addressing the whole audience and we're putty in her hand and she's doing a Q&A and taking questions and fielding, you know, ridiculous inquiries and very charmingly shutting people down if they do need to be shut down. Uh and but everyone is so just fluffed and folded by her. And so then to have this insight when I actually was meeting her and one-on-one -on -one and, as you say, potentially appear, um, that was not the case. Wow. Yeah. Showbiz. It's yeah. so, I've only had a few little brushes with, you know, showbiz promises of, oh, yeah, I've been to a couple of meetings where they'll say, oh, yeah, we could do this. And they make you feel like you're the most important person in the room. Yeah, it's and a great they can feeling. See you, they can see you in the role. You're going to end up working together. We'll give you a call back. They never phone back. Again. <laughs> and I think that's particularly a television thing. Mm. 
the the kind of joke that um, people I work with, producers I work with in Los Angeles was, uh, uh, that's a pass. Um, and it would, because it, it would always just be like, I'm a fan, it's a pass. Because mm. um, that was always the term, terminology uh, in the 2000s was, I'm a fan, which is, of course, now such a cliche. But um, what that people would use when they were coming for a screen. Yeah. Or they would just say, um, you know, an executive that you would meet. You'd Mm. go in and meet an exec uh, to to pitch some ideas or whatever. And then they'd be like, oh, Katie Puckrick, I'm a fan. You know, I I love what you do. Um, And then you feel a warm and fuzzy. And then, you know, a minute later or the next day you'd get the it's a pass. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah kind of interesting but i mean i i encountered oprah a lot because there'd be uh meetings with uh, when oxygen started it was quite a small company so it was you know when there were get-togethers like once a month and we'd have to kind of give status reports i was a executive producer on my show i brought pajama party over so i was and then i was developing other shows for them so um you know i had to go and show up and account give an account of what was going on with my staff the team and the show yeah um so, you know, she would greet me. She'd be there with her cocker spaniels. Um, and uh, she she wasn't, I think ultimately she wasn't really happy in that company. She ended up leaving and starting her own company, right. own yeah. Oprah Winfrey Network. Um, but uh, she's uh, exceedingly powerful. I have one more encounter with her that I, I could mention go if on. we have the time. Yeah, go on. So uh, when I first moved over to the to Los Angeles around 2000, there was a big vagina monologues event. Uh, it was called V Day. So every time February 14th rolled around, Eve Ensler, who created vagina monologues, would do this big benefit for women. And instead of just the one person performing the entire vagina monologues monologue, she would get together a cast of uh, women stars that were just the top stars. So I don't know how I got lumped into this because I was in no way, shape, or form a star. But but you are a vagina owner. I am a vagina owner, and uh, I have met a few stars. So I got lumped into this Madison Square Garden event oh where um, peop- the likes of Oprah Winfrey, Jane Fonda, Gloria Steinem, uh, huge stars were were delivering the monologues. And then further, there were like 50 other women who were also big-time actresses and activists and the like, and me. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of in the chorus. So we would kind of chime in with, with certain words and kind of, uh, you know, flesh out what was going on. But I can tell you that uh, the event was sold out. Madison Square Garden seats 18,000 people. And when Oprah walked onto the stage in sold-out Madison Square Garden, you could have heard a pin drop. Because that is the command, that is the ultimate authority the woman has without even opening her mouth. And my feeling, the thought that popped into my head in 2000 when I was in this performance with her was Oprah Winfrey could be the president of the United States. I was going to ask you about that because, like this time last year, or yeah, maybe the Me later, Too. There was there was a feeling that she might be up yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. And when she uh, delivered that address, that Me Too speech. Uh, that was what people were saying was, oh, my God, oh, my God, she could be, you know, the medicine for us. Yeah. She could heal us from Donald Trump. There's no doubt that, uh, I mean, if she wanted to, that's certainly a convincing direction that she could go into. But 
being in the room with 18,000 people who didn't even want to breathe. You know, they wanted to just listen to her and absorb her. I'm guessing she doesn't need to be president. No, she doesn't. But, I mean, it wouldn't be that fun. But she kind of is the president they need, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. It'd be kind of, I mean, all bets are off now. You know, we have this cheesy reality show star who is the president who's not, you know, he likes to say he's a businessman. No, he played one on television. I mean, he's yeah. a terrible businessman, Donald Trump. He's an he's, business, apparently, um, Paris Hilton has made, has made more oh, business sense decisions. Oh, that's than a he good, has. that's yeah. a good statistic. Yeah. No, he, his casinos, he runs the, he, op- well, he, you know, launches them with Russian money and money from elsewhere. Well, and half then he, of the Trump buildings are just buildings owned by someone else with his name, name on. on it. Yeah. So he, it's a funny, it's all these little funny loopholes. And so that's why there was a, was there a Trump building in South America mm-hmm. where the people, all the residents voted to take the take Trump the name sign? Off, yeah. yeah, and he was fighting that. But God. Well, anything could happen, though. We're in those times, like, like you said yesterday, that it's horrific, but at the same time, what a, what a time to be it's, alive. Yeah, you know? it's, it's a historic time. I mean, it's very jangling. I feel, I feel jangled. Like, I try, I have to not look at Twitter so much. I have to try not to get sucked into all the stories, although I do every single day read the Washington Post and the New York Times. Yeah. I can't not read it. No, I can't look away. Yeah. We've got some phone calls. Let's go and uh, see who, who's who's on. Hello, Paul. Yo, how you doing, Kat? I'm all right, thanks. Thanks Hi, for Paul. hanging on for us. I know we've been yammering, but it's just such a weird situation that they've got over in, in America at the moment. No, it really is. He's, um, in fact, Donald Trump's come out with the tweet, hasn't he? In the last like hour and a half. Oh, what's so he, he said, said now? Uh, he, he's kind of defended um, Melania's thing on the back, saying it was about the media and fake news and all this stuff. Well, then, believe a word. then she should choose her time for making such statements because it looked oh, terrible. Don't it, Jeff? It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, can't you hear change? Go on. Right. I want to talk about accents. Yes. Oh, yes. Because I've heard Katie's accent. Hi, Katie. How are you Hi. doing? Hi. I'm, I'm good. Feeling feeling very unaccented, accented, because you're the one with the accent, and Kath is no, the one with the accent. Absolutely the one with the accent. Man. You are. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, like, I, I know you've you've been in the UK a long time. Yeah. Well, but I was wondering if you could tell where I'm from. Oh, um, the north. No. I'm getting a no. I'm getting like a little no. No, I'm terrible with identifying accents. Say something in- more. Give her a long sentence. All right. Um, I've been calling up now for the last few weeks, and I really enjoy the show, and I'm loving the fact that you and Catherine, Catherine and you, are doing a good job while Ian's in New York. Well, you have, um, of course, I'm very positive positively disposed towards your accent because you're saying such lovely things with it um well his people are known for their poetry oh romantic souls i don't know yeah romantic souls yeah go on tell her paul i'm from south wales oh Um, i see i would have if you had said um singing and coal mining i didn't know but okay yeah dylan thomas i guess that's a romantic soul from from wales um no the it 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 isn't yours is softer so if it was like a a it was like a tom jones i was gonna say karis matthews sort of one (laughs) i do i I used to stalk 
Karis um, Matthews when I was in university. Oh, did you? I knew, I, yeah, I, I knew where she lived. Oh, so, um, you really did yeah, stalk we, her. Oh my no, goodness! She, genuinely, we used to well, we used to go to the pub at the end of the road. The pub was called um, the Yellow Kangaroo, and that was the end of, of, of her street. So they had like a picture of her at the end of the bar, oh, and we right. went so many times trying to find her. Yeah, and she was never there. Oh, so she was like a local hero. Oh my God, Caris Matthews was, was a, a hero to all the Welsh. I used to live with a Welsh girl, and she idolised Caris Matthews because she used to sing in her own accent. Yeah, yeah, makes a big big difference to people. It's that whole thing of if you can see it, you can be it. You know that. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I'm sorry that I was so ignorant as to not correctly identify. She's she's a racist, is what she is, Paul. I'm not. I'm just dumb. Anti Welsh. Anti Welsh. That's what it is. Anyway, how's your day been today? <laughs> it's been it's been tidy. Yeah, tidy, <laughs> tidy. It's been all right. Good. Well, um, yeah, haven't done an awful lot apart from uh, take my little bike kickboxing. That's about it, really. Kit, you're, what you're weaponizing your child? <laughs> totally. He's, he lives in Wales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's four years old, and we we took him kickboxing. And fair play, the um, the instructor had him out the front doing the um, the stretches, instructing the rest of the class. And I was class. Amazing. I've been trying to get my daughters into some sort of organised violence, but they're not having it. <laughs> there's, there's lots of girls good in this class, mind. It's really good. Wow. No, I'm not saying go to this one. Of course, you know we're a long way away. It's really good. Yeah, it's a bit of a commute for us, but yeah, you're right. All right, Paul, thanks very much for All phoning. Best. Nostar, Kariad. Nostar. Let's talk to Annie. Hi, Annie. Hi, Kath, how are you doing? I'm all right. Nice hi. to hear from you. Hi, Annie. Good. Uh, hi, Katie, how are you? I'm very well. Good, very what's, good. What's going on with you? Um, I, I, I've got a, a blagging story for you, actually. Beautiful. It is a little bit accent-related as well now I think about it. Oh, good. She's covering all the bases. I, it's, yeah, covering everything. I like, I like to hit all the bases. I, I was uh, on holiday a number of years ago. I was on holiday in uh, L.A., actually, with uh, a then-boyfriend. And we decided in the middle of the holiday we were going to properly splash out and go to a high-end restaurant mm. uh, just to see. Because you've got to do it sometimes when you're on holiday. Exactly, so you're on holiday. In. Why not? Well, well, absolutely, you've got to do it. We got dressed up, the whole thing. And uh, as we, it was one of these... Uh, uh, the, there was a gatekeeper at the front, and, and we just kind of realised very quickly we're not we're not getting in. This is this isn't going to happen. Oh. So we're just quietly in the queue, and uh, my boyfriend at the time just joking said, "Do, do you think it, see, if, if they knew who we were, we would probably get a table?" And she heard this. Who was gatekeeping? Heard this and kind of zoned in, and uh, it uh, came and then heard the English accent as well. <gasps> so she said, it, 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 "Are you are you connected to someone that that?" I'm aware of, and I said, well, that would be wholly inappropriate to use that oh. kind of connection. So, no, no, it's fine, don't worry, we went to leave. And, uh, yeah, two minutes later, we were at a table. <gasps> That's so good how vague you were with it. You didn't lie oh, to her. Absolutely. It's her yeah, assumption. It's... Yeah, and also, like, how cool. Like, that actually sounds much more plausible yeah, and believable. It does. Yeah, like, oh. Well, you know, if we started dropping names, I, I wouldn't have been able to carry it off. But yeah. Just, uh, oh, no, 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 we, we, we couldn't possibly. It's fine. We'll go oh. somewhere else. And, and you know what? Yeah. That English charm, the accent, all that thing, and being oh, all yeah. that self-deprecating probably was the was the charm. Oh, there. they love that. They eat that stuff up over in america oh, yeah the accent got very very posh while we were there and, and it, it yeah it got us served an awful lot quicker in a lot of places it was, it was <laughs> amazing. can you remember what the food was like was it worth it yeah no it was all right <laughs> it was it was kind of it was one of those it was effectively a, a, a burger joint that was trying to pretend it wasn't it was one of those kinds of places right. it was 
Yeah, a fancy burger with lots of garnish around it. So the food was all right, but we had better while we was out there. So, but yeah, we were we were fawned over an awful lot, and oh. you you can't fault that. You no. Oh gosh, it's so easy to get used to that. Do you remember the name of the place where you went? I don't actually mm. know. Mm. No, I don't. All she knows is they served up deception burgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretentious yeah. burgers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretentious burgers and and chips that they they make faults out of, and that that was basically it. Right. Yeah, so they made a little pile of chips rather than a, a, yeah, try and make it look fancy. That was about it. But it was stupidly expensive, but it was all right. It was worth it just for the amount of attention we got while we were there. Yeah, getting one up on them as well, getting through the system. Yeah, and there was yeah, then lots of different uh, waitresses would would come around and and be very very nice and and uh, yeah, they were desperately trying to find out who we were, but because we weren't anybody, so we weren't going to let any, anything on at all. You were discreet. That's who you were, and yeah, that means you must be it. someone important. Exactly. Oh yeah, because we we were so important, we didn't even have to shout about it. It was just yeah, we just had to be important. Gosh, that's a lesson to us all. Thanks, Annie. <laughs> Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. If you want to give us a ring, you the time is ticking away. 0344 499 1000. We've got George on the phone uh, and then we'll be coming to you if you fancy it. 0344 499 1000. Democratic Sonic Involvement. Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. It's a grandiose way of saying we like to have a good old yammer. And if you want to join us, you can do 0344 499 1000. In a second, we'll go to Rainbow George, George in Highgate, of course. But we were just talking about L.A. and how when you arrived there, you thought, this is it. This, I, I've reached oh, the yeah. pinnacle. This, you know, you've been in TV. You've been really well known in the U.K. Yep. They've picked up on this thing that you've created that was hugely successful. This is it. You've arrived. Well, I was aware enough to know how unusual and how lucky I was. Uh, it wasn't one of those things where I just assumed uh, this is how everybody shows up in town. I mean, I'd been handpicked by Oprah and her people to launch her whole new network. That's a so, pretty good seal of approval. Yeah, it's a huge seal of approval. Um, but it was, I, I think I, I was naive about how easy it was going to be because up until then I'd been, once I got established on my first TV job presenting the word, other things came to me quite easily. So I sort of thought, oh, well, you know, once my lovable self shows up in Hollywood, everyone's going to want a piece of the action. And to some degree that was the case, but my goodness, there's a lot of talented people there. So I was going to a factory town. That's what I always think of Los Angeles, like a, you know, it's the workhouse of uh, creativity. So there's a lot of competition and a lot of people jostling for position. And a lot of it's about connections. And you were a new kid in town, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, my connections were pretty good. And I had a lot of, I mean, early on uh, at a party, uh, I buddied up with Megan Mullally, who was starring in Will and Grace. And uh, I was telling her, uh, you know, she was kind of she's a, a great person anyway, just because she's always interested in other people. So that was sort of my way in. Unlike Oprah, who's <laughs> who's interested up to a point, up to a point, And then she has to go to the bathroom. But uh, so, for instance, Megan was somebody who, you know, I said, oh, well, you know, she asked me what I was doing. And I explained I'm doing the show pajama party. Blah, blah, blah. She went, oh, well, I'm I want to come on it. Like, here's my number. Call me up. And so to this day, we're friends from her expressing curiosity and uh, wanting to try different things. Um, so it, in a way, it's kind of easy to mm-hmm. once you're in a, a, at a certain strata of people, you can 
people who are creative always want to meet other creative people. Yeah, because it feeds, doesn't it? It feeds yeah. off. You feed off each other in yeah, a way. Yeah. That sounds hideous, but actually, you know what I mean? That yeah, it, you kind of it, it bounce, nourish each other. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting situation because you it know is, you should take credit for that as well because you're the sort of person who is interested in other people. And, uh, you know, God, well, I picked I, you up in a record shop. For God's <laughs> sake. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. Well, I am curious. I am interested in and open. I'm. Uh, I, that is a good. I am open to opportunity. I'm. I'm interested in interesting people, and I'm also drawn to sparky people. So when you and Ian came up to me, I just thought these people have vim. They have vigor. And there's some jut and there's strut, and I was well, attracted to that. I'd had a couple of glasses of wine. That was that was what was the vim and the vigor you were sensing there. Should have a quick word with George. Hiya, George. Hello. Nice to speak to you again. I, I came to the program late again this evening. I'd been on Hampstead Heath, Parliament Hill, sort of saucy stuff going oh, on. Oh, how lovely. Oh. Yes. And it was nice. Thank you for calling me Rainbow George. Kathy and never calls me Rainbow George. Doesn't he? I think he, I think if he called me anything now, he'd start calling me Stoner George because <laughs> that's what he's been referring to me as recently. <laughs> but, uh, it's lovely to speak to you both. You gave me such a, Big build up yesterday, Kath, and I didn't live up to it, I'm afraid. Oh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> this is something I've noticed with you, is that you always play yourself down. Oh, uh, no, no. It's, it, He's it, playing it, that down. Yes, he is. You're already playing that down. I, Have I, you... I, I, I tuned in. You, you were talking to a lady about prostitution. Yeah. Who, who, who was that? She's called Caitlin Bailey, and she does a podcast. She's a sex worker herself, but she's also a comedian and an activist, you know, and just a thoroughly interesting person. Is that Caitlin with a C? It's a K-A-Y-T-L-I-N. Caitlin. And her podcast is called Old Pros. The Oldest Profession. Yeah. So you were the KKK then? That's right. Yeah, but the one everyone likes. Yeah. Yeah. Not no, the sinister it's, one. It, it's uh, exciting time for me, sort of just looking forward to what I was talking about yesterday and uh, Friday the 13th of July, the 33rd anniversary of Live Aid and uh, the day that Donald Trump oh. is scheduled to arrive in London. I know, it's going to be a whole protest, people dropping trowel, right? I don't know. Flashing their hindquarters in his direction. You're Have not you going to join this? the Mooney protest? No, because as I say, we had this event and it, finally we are actually going to get to launch the wonder party the party to end all political parties will you though george because that was what we were supposed to be doing last time yeah well it turned out just to be another overture to the wonder party but foreplay <laughs> yes. on, 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 on the heath tonight a, a three-piece band got together and uh recorded a, 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 a version of a, a song that, that we've got called We Are The Music Makers and th this band is going to be the band that will launch things on Friday the 13th and uh, and the party to end all political parties will be underway and I, I'm hoping we can we can link from the map studio to to your program that that, that evening and and uh do something special, Kath. Well, you can certainly give us a ring. I don't know if we can do anything more elaborate than that. No, ring ring would be lovely. Yeah, and, do uh, it. 
I look forward to it and thank you very much for everything and bless you both. Oh, thanks, George. Bless you. All the best. All right. Hopefully we'll speak soon. You're on together again tomorrow? We're on together again tomorrow and Monday. Oh, lovely. So and I'm then sure order will be restored. <laughs> I, I'm sure... I, I, I'm sure we can do a better a better call than this one, and I, I look forward to it. We'll see which way the script is written, because in my mind, everything is written, and, and we're all being directed to think the way we think and act the way we act. And uh, in my mind, none of us are responsible for our actions. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that next time, yeah. maybe. But you say that, George, just before you go, you say that, but then every time we speak to you, as I said before, you downplay it. Surely you've said what you needed to say at this point with this call. Uh, no. I, I mean, when you visited me with Ian, you asked me what my message was, yeah. and I, I gave you a very poor answer. Maybe maybe tomorrow I, I'll get my message together, and and, and, uh, and you will exclusively have Rainbow George's message. Fantastic. It's a work in progress. Yeah. Exactly. We all are, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Good to speak to you, George. You take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye-bye. Night-night. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. If you want to speak to us in the dying moments of this show, before How? the rattle heralds Paul Ross. Oh well, that that's a very uh, sinister way to to put that. Is he is he out there giving he's us? There. <laughs> he's there looking through the window. Come okay. in, Paul. That was a message. Oh no, he's shaking his fist. Are you going to come in? What? I don't know why she's laying all that sort of sinister talk on you. Did you hear? What Paul she was Ross saying? let me a, a vampire film that I've still not watched, and I mean to. And she also maintained that all horror films have a sexual subtext, which is so are. not the case. I think they are. So not the case. I, I mentioned they're... the others with Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah. And that's not really... I mean, she's pining for her husband. She's desperate. She's gagging for it, that but woman. It's not that no. at all. Driving her crazy. Don't drag us down into the gutter. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Also, I've got a little present for you. You may not have seen this in yesterday's times. I know you love Japan. You used to urge us to film. We should have listened to you. I couldn't quite afford it budget-wise to film in Japan for the word. Uh. Look at that wonderful thing. What is this creature? Just read the caption. It's brilliant. Uh, Cloud Nine. Okay, I'm looking at a creature that has four legs, and it's just the shape of a pebble, but made out of fur. Oh, like a, a grey cloud, almost. Uh, okay, so Sesame was taken to the Yuriko Koro Dog Salon in Japan, which specializes in grooming dogs to appear fluffy. Show it to Cathy. It's a lovely, so That's cute. a real... That's a, oh it's not a cartoon God. animal. No, you see those like, on a lead in Japan. It's, <laughs> that looks like the sort of dog my kids would draw. Absolutely. So beautiful. it it is like a sort of a a poo shaped or no it's a, or a cloud or a or a rock. It it's just like looks the, like a rock. It's like the kind of cartoon version of the depression cloud. It's like legs, a depression. It? Yeah. It's a depression yeah. cloud with four legs and a face. Oh, the sort you can pet. That would be a great But we have cloud. got, I and I know it. we all have our showbiz, we've got a fantastic showbiz anniversary. Rather a sad one, but oh. an amazing one we're celebrating on the show tonight. Because on this day in history, the 22nd of June, two remarkable people died not together, years apart. On this day in 1969, Francis Ethel Gum passed away, uh -huh. Judy Garland, of course. Yes. And then you flash forward to 87, Fred Astaire died on the same day. Wow. And, he was much older. and they made one film together, which is a belter, Easter Parade. Yeah. So we're celebrating their life. And, and Rennie Zellweg is playing Judy Garland in the last kind of troubled couple of years of her life. Oh, she died, actually, of a barbiturate overdose in Chelsea. She died on the London. toilet. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Her and Elvis.
Yeah, not, not on together. The same no, not no, on the same level. That would be crowded. No, they were very crowded. That's a whole different movie, isn't yeah, it? So we're talking about on the show today. I'm also talking about frogs and toads. Oh, yeah. A big shortage of them. Yeah. So we're talking about how people can help get them back into our oh, gardens okay. and our lives. We all have to have ponds now, is that right? Well, I nearly killed my uh, sister accidentally because of newts. When I was growing up, I had, used to have an entrepreneurial streak, which has disappeared. So I'm now Mr. McCulber. Income, you know, <laughs> 20 shillings expenditure, 20 shillings and sixpence. But we found a local pond, and we found an old dustbin, chucked the dustbin in with holes in it, and dredged it out, and we had hundreds of newts. You know, the tiny lizard-like yeah, lovely yeah, creatures. Yeah. And we were selling them, and I was selling them for what used to be sixpence, which is like two and a half P now. We don't even have half a pence. And they're in the back garden. My dad was unsure of this. In this bin, which we put inside a bin bag, and they had lots of newts in, but loads of sand in the bottom. Anyway... Suddenly I heard this almighty scream early one morning. My father ran in with my sister, who was only two. She'd been looking at the notes and toppled in. <gasps> and he'd found her, and he literally had to revive her. Oh, right. no, you so could have killed her. I could have, ki I could have been a whole Hitchcock movie waiting to happen, like Spellbound. Oh. So no more newts for me. But I love frogs and toads in my back garden. Oh, they're great. They're the best. But there's something that will always surprise you. I, I go out, I keep my... Uh, tumble dryer in the garage right and i have to go out through my back garden to get to it and the number of times i've nearly stepped on a frog when i was out there big juicy ones in my back garden i used to have a toad when i lived down in west sussex and there was a proper old-fashioned cellar there and i didn't realize that toads kind of hibernate or semi-hibernate and for about three years and they're quite long-lived toads this same mottled old gray toad could be found in the cellar Incredible. and it's that kind of weird thing we think what a weird solitary life and he would ribbit ribbit and make his way somehow down into my coal cellar and then make his way out and come back the next year have you ever heard? I stop the conversation. Uh, dead, I know, no, no, I'm just pondering. <laughs> Have you ever heard a toad or a frog scream? Thank you. For, once again, you drag us to the realms of horror, Kath They Boyle. scream. Do they? I know people who have cats, and they've been woken in the middle of the night to this really awful piercing oh. sound, and it was a frog screaming, being disemboweled by <coughs> ki kitty. Yeah, it, and apparently it sounds like a very. It sounds like a kid. Oh, no. Yeah, horrific sound. So, think yourself lucky you've never heard such a, a haunting noise. I'm never going to get that image and sound out of my head no, now. No, it's hideous. Oh. Again, that's the luck of the title of an 80s kind of horrible video nasty. Screaming Frogs. Screaming Frogs. <laughs> or, or a really good band name. <laughs> Screaming Frogs 2 with Kath Boyle and Katie Puckwick. <laughs> that's, uh, that and is... I loved your Oprah Winfrey story. That was oh, a belter. Oh, so good. Oh, I'd love you. to have met her, but I mean, what a remarkable story. I had a similar, well, not a similar thing. I've interviewed Tom Cruise a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Um, and of course, he just turns it on. But yeah. I know a few of the guys who do those junkets where they, you know, they put a camera on you, a camera on, you've done loads of them, Katie, and the camera on the, on the main man or main woman. And um, the guy I was working, I know very well, cameraman, said he, when he comes in, Tom Cruise, he goes this very intense stare, mm -hmm. yeah. grasps their hands and says, what's your name? And he remembers like eight different names. But that's a power thing, isn't it? But he remembers everybody's names. And they said, you know, you guys, Keith, do you want some water? Michelle, do you want... But then you might meet him two days later, he's completely forgotten you. Well, he can't maintain all of that flotsam and jetsam. But and it's a fantastic, I mean, a weird focused gift to have, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Scientology helps with that. Yeah, so. that is a technique. All this and more coming up with Paul Ross up next. We're done for the night. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.